This week, I'm out now with Aaron and Abe. We're talking Cruella and A Quiet Place, part two. Would you shut up with that quiet dog? Sorry. Wait a minute, I forgot my introduction. We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, as always, this is... Abe, hello, hello, bonjour. Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most explore for review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 453, 453. 453, that is way more than 101, or even 102. You're not wrong. And mm-hmm. for, for this That's week, how math works. Uh, for this week, uh, we have another double header. We are talking Cruella and A Quiet Place Part 2. I know. I was shocked, too. Two first. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, we got two two movies coming up here. And uh, to join us to discuss both of these things, we have from Why So Blue and the Hey, It's Peter Paris YouTube page. He's making a giant leather coat out of Chex Notes' Loud Children. It's Peter Paris. Gosh. Peter, you monster! Yeah, as long as they're uh, dogs and not cats. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> hey, everybody. Hey, Peter. How are you doing today? I'm good. Enjoying my uh, relaxing... Um, well, actually, it wasn't totally relaxing. Uh, Memorial Day weekend. Um, my yeah, girl, my girlfriend is moving from her studio apartment to her one bed to a one bedroom in in the same structure. So actually, I did a lot of physical labor this weekend. <laughs> was it on um, the same floor? That building? What? Are you guys going to be living in the same building? No, 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 no. She's oh. a, she's in a, d- a different building. But I'm saying she's I'm saying her move though was within the same building. Oh, I see. Okay. Was it a different floor? Yeah, but actually, it, she it, she second floor to first floor, and actually, it was basically like you leave her apartment, the stairs are right there. You go down the stairs, there's the apartment. Like, so actually, like, that worked out really well. I was, but, I, I was I mean, trying to build to, like, a couch pivot joke, given that we watched the Friends reunion <laughs> special yes! this week. But... Nobody watched that. I, I watched it. But actually, <laughs> we actually did make that joke. Because uh, the bed, not bad, but she has a futon, and we very much had a pivot pivot down the stairs. So, yes, mm. that that joke was brought up. Great. it was, And it was hilarious, I'm sure. <laughs> 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 let's get to uh, let's get to some show notes here before we get to the rest of this this uh, this pack show we have in store for you guys today uh first up a uh, new commentary track it is going by the time well no actually this will probably come out the day before june so june is coming <laughs> that's a long mm-hmm. build-up and we have a new commentary track on the way as well this month uh, we'll be talking the fast and the furious i know both oh. Um, we'll be covering the original Fast film in honor of the upcoming Fat, sorry, the upcoming F9 colon the Fast <laughs> Saga. Um, yeah, that's going to be uh, that, 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 that we're, we're building up to more family talk, of course. But yeah, we're going to be covering the original film in the meantime. That'll happen sometime very in the near future, and we'll release that around the uh, you know sometime in the month of June. So uh, mm. stay tuned. Turn your NAS on. Exactly. Turn the NAS on. Don't be granny shifting when you should be double clutching. <laughs> Um, That's the same thing, actually. <laughs> not when Vin Diesel says it. It's completely yeah. different. <laughs> um, all right. What else? Oh, Summer Gamble, of course. Speaking of the Fast and Furious, uh, we recorded our Summer Gamble episode, which is super fun, but also lays out a good preview of the summer. But part of the fun of the Summer Gamble is also getting incredibly worried about the various results of box office totals as we go on through the you know, through, through these months. Uh, this week, 
we obviously have Cruella and A Quiet Place 2 open. Uh, we Many of us had both of those films predicted in our top 10. Uh, just to recap, and I'll try to make this more uh, succinct in the future, but we've all predicted, and when I say all, I mean Abe and I, along with Peter and many other guests of the show, uh, we've all predicted what we think are going to be the top 10 highest films at the global box office. And as of, as of now, uh, A Quiet Place 2 opened really high, like almost 60 million for this three-day weekend, which is quite impressive given, you know, the pandemic. Uh, meanwhile, Corella didn't open as strong, uh, which uh, we'll, we'll see how that uh, shakes things out. The other concerning thing is that Fast 9, speaking of which, uh, is uh, somewhat uh, crashing uh, down. Overseas, yeah. Somewhat <laughs> crashing down overseas. It's, it's, I, thought it was a... only, I thought it was only China. I thought it's doing fine besides yeah, but if, China. But, okay, like an 80% fall is pretty big. Yeah, two, two yeah, things. Yeah, I mean, two, that two, is huge. Two yes. things. China, yes, it is coming down huge, but also it's I outside of like the Avengers films, it is the biggest American franchise in China. So the fact that it's not doing well in China isn't the best thing to hear in terms of our no stakes summer gamble on this podcast. Um, <laughs> as far as the rest of the world, for like Europe and other other markets that are open, yeah, it's come down a fairly reasonable amount. But I mean, it's you know, it's not it's not the strongest hold either. So given that it's our number one for the summer. We'll see what happens. <laughs> that's, that's basically what I'm trying it's to say. It's true. Only only one person didn't pick it at number one. Yeah, right? Adam Gentry, friend of the show. He has Shang-Chi at number one, and God damn it, he might have pulled something off of something like this. <laughs> Adam does know a lot of stuff that we don't. It's like that one year. He's where, a past winner. It's like that one year where Abe predicted Avengers over The Dark Knight Rises to be number no, one. I had a weak head start. Our, but... our first year doing this, yet he still lost that year. So, I mean, it didn't yeah. really help him in the long run. But... but hey, it was good to be uh, <laughs> good to, yeah. uh, not last. It was, it, sure. And it was good to have the number one film picked. And uh, right. sometimes we haven't had that happen. Sometimes it's less obvious. Like Wonder Woman yeah. was the number one Wonder film. Wonder Woman was a huge surprise. Yeah, which we didn't, none of us had a number one that year. Um, regardless, Summer Gamble still going. Um, we have that at they used to have a like a notes thing on Facebook, which was cool because we could I could actively keep that right up at the top for everybody to see. But, you know, it's out there. Our summer gamble. I'll try to find clever ways to keep posting it. Um, anyway, what else? All this madness and more can be found on iTunes, of course, where you can find all of our shows. And what you can do on iTunes is you can search for our show, subscribe, because why not? Why not get more subscribers? But also you can leave a rating and review, which would be wonderful. Thank you so much in advance. Please do give us a review, even if it's just, if it's just a dot. <laughs> I mean, I'd like a little bit more than a dot, but you know. why? Well, I'd love to be just like, hey, Aaron, we got a new review. It just says period. <laughs> if it said like listen, period, like that'd be cool, right? You know, it's like enough said. That's, that's a command. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's enough show notes here. Let's move on. Let's get to some out of quickies. Yeah. Trade marked. Oh, you slow it down there. Hmm. Um, I've seen a number of things this week, but I'm going to let Peter start. Peter, what have you seen recently? I, I saw the movies we're going to discuss, and uh, I watched, even though um, Aaron Aaron uh, teased me about it, uh, I uh, watched 4K uh, My Fair Lady, a uh, movie I had never seen before. To be, to be clear, I teased you about it because you didn't finish watching it until later on, where I watched it all in one swoop. <laughs> What's the difference? You did. A 4K <laughs> My Fair Lady? Three yeah. hours. I mean, this is not like a ninety-minute movie, to be fair. I yes, mean, the, like, the 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 classic uh, the classic, the classic <laughs> nineteen sixty-four musical arrived on four K this week on four K UHD Blu-ray. Um, it was, mm. Yeah, I, I really liked it, and actually, I thought that because I I guess I've just never seen this musical, even like in high school at a at a show or what. You know, there's a lot of, like you know when I was in high school and college, 
I might not have seen a movie version of a classic musical, but I had probably seen the musical because my high school or my friend's high school would have done the production. So like I saw Fiddler on the Roof or I was a part of Fiddler on the Roof in college, but I actually didn't see the Norman Jewish film until like, I think after we did the show. So my point was, is that somehow I didn't see My Fair Lady, which is like, I don't know how none of my high schools around me did that or whatever. Like, I don't know how. Well, actually, though, I went to an all boys school, so that's probably why for that. But um, mm. but uh, but yeah, so the last I mean, I guess spoiler alert, but the last moment in My Fair Lady, like that's a pretty good last moment. I was like, oh, that's great. I was like, that's <laughs> a pretty good way to end like this big musical. Like, it's a pretty great transfer. I think that's the real thing to emphasize too. Well, like, it's it sourced absolutely. from like like an 8K and they brought it down to 4K, obviously. And it's and it's you know it was shot with like the the pan like the 70 mil Panavision. Yeah. Yeah. So it like it's you know impressively large and because those cameras are already you know filming at such a great you know production like it just looks amazing like, as far as watching a movie like that. You know what I will say, and I and not to get us not to talk too much about my fair lady, but I will say, um, this weekend I was uh, also I was rewatching the uh, Queen's Gambit with my girlfriend because she had never seen it before, and we watched like six episodes in a row, so we just have to watch the last one uh, next weekend. But one of the things about I know Queen's Gambit and a lot of new Netflix shows is there's a conversation about like does production design sometimes overwhelm like the plot and story? I think it re- works really well in C- Queen's Gambit, but I understand like people might say like, Oh, like all the Ryan Murphy stuff. It's like, it's kind of overly production designed or whatever, but I will say maybe it's cause I watched them to- really closely, but watching Queen's Gambit and watching to Aaron's point, this 8k scan of my fair lady, which Obviously, everything's a set. Like, there's nothing yeah, real yeah. about it. But I really appreciated how, I guess, yeah, how how much construction goes into both Queen's Gambit and My Fair Lady. It's like, like the the outfits, the wallpaper, like everything. I was like, man, it's like there's so much detail. Not only you're seeing because it's an 8K scan, but like that they really put for these shows for this kind of production. I thought, which was really cool. It just makes the whole thing. Like a pretty cool, you know, good, really good eye candy. I just, guess. Just to be clear, you watched six episodes of Queen Gambit in a row. Yes, we watched it. So, so just to, so so you watched like four and a half hours of TV, but couldn't finish three hours of My Fair Lady in one. Day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, but Aaron, one was made in 2020, and the other one was made in 1947. No, that's true. You know, if... <laughs> I'm just joshing you. We're gonna keep this going. What else have you watched? <laughs> No, that's uh, that's it. Besides the two movies we're going to discuss, that was like I'd say My Fair Lady was the big thing. Okay, Abe, how about you? What have you seen recently? Remember how last week I talked about Unforgiven? Well, I watched. Nope, moving on. (laughs) (laughs) I watched 2010, 2011's Two Grit. 2010, yeah. Yeah, that's a long time ago, and uh, still great. Uh, It's probably one. uh, It's up there in terms of some of my favorite Coens. Um, But the other movie that I watched was Independence Day. Because uh, it was on sale and I, I purchased it and I I I was just going to get a little smidgen of it and then it turned out to be a, a whole watch. I, I will say that I, I think that the I didn't realize that it was two and a half hours long when I was a kid. And now that I'm an adult, I'm just like, yeah, I can feel the length kind of like in that the part where they're all at Area 51. However, yeah, because you're getting antsy. it's a really good movie like yeah. it like it, it for for what we know as Roland Emmerich now. 
this is a very reserved Roland Emmerich. Like, it's actually, like, a really well-directed movie. The actors, like, even Will Smith is not being ridiculous July Will Smith. He does ham it up at times, but it, it's it's well-acted, well-directed. The scenes of peril are way more, like, uh, graphic now that that I'm an adult. I'm like, wow, they they blew up all those cities and then they <laughs> nuked Houston. So, uh, but other than that, um, yeah, just those two. As, uh, as Scott Mendelson likes to point out something about the earlier, you know, this earlier stage of, you know, big spectacle blockbusters, the difference between that and now, which is what the, what the difference, you know, what that, what that is, is you, you couldn't afford to like constantly deliver, you know, the spectacle every five minutes right you couldn't like you can't do avengers where everything's a green screen and like everything you know you can just make everything happen constantly you had to have you had to pad out the film with actual character development and other things that weren't action related so as a result you have a movie like independence day which yes it's very earnest and it's not you know not the most finely crafted screenplay compared to other movies but that doesn't matter because you have an assortment of great character actors as well as you know someone a-list movie star like will smith and jeff goldblum at the time who are all just really compelling to watch even without the alien invasion stuff so yes the movie works because of how wonderfully constructed it is by you know necessity because it has to you know do more with what it has in between giant explosions taking place yeah wait so aaron are you saying that like and this sort of sort of ties into a question I was going to ask Abe since he just watched it. But like, are you saying that something like Independence Day back in the day, because computer generated effects and that kind of stuff was still not something that was like it is now? Sure. MCU movie. Are you saying in a strange way it's almost akin to how I remember people were saying that if you were a true fan of, I guess, like. Um, Grindhouse or exploitation movies. Um, Tarantino's, is it Death Proof? Is that the name of it? Yes. Death, Death Proof doesn't really have a lot of action. Except there's maybe like two or three action scenes. And a lot of it is just the characters talking. And people would say, well, actually, back in the day, it is kind of like that with like yeah. low budget horror or stuff. Because they don't have the budget to just be crazy for 80 minutes so they have to <laughs> there is a lot of filler time so are yeah, you saying I mean, on a studio budget level it's the same idea i mean yeah for, well, for would, like yeah. For, for when it comes to genre yeah you're going to only deliver so much spectacle both because you can't overwhelm people and while using like you know a shoddy level of effects as you want to stretch that budget out and because yeah you have <laughs> that's just the construction of movies, right? Having a, you know, a certain kind, not necessarily a mandate like it is now where it's every 15 minutes, something needs to happen. But I mean, that's kind of how screenplays work where you need to have, you know, incidents of some kind of substance and yeah, you can't just fill it with, you know, car chases or what have you. You have to fill it with people like doing things. And it (laughs) really helps out that there are multiple characters in this that get their own arcs. And also they're all introduced at different times too. Mm -hmm. So it, it does help out. And, um, but yeah, no, it, it's still a fun watch. It, it's, it's, it's on sale for like, I think it was like seven ninety nine. So, um, check it out. Well, so, uh, Abe, um, uh, this was my question. This, cause it just came up with, um, friend of the show, Yancey. I was telling Yancey, I was going to see quiet place Two, And his thing was that, um, I think he thought the first one was okay, but he, he was like, he was kind of maintaining that he feels that once monsters became, computer generated 
he always feels like there's something missing there. And he ironically brought up Independence Day. He's like, mm. you go through this whole movie and then you finally get to the aliens. And he's like, eh, it's OK. Now, I haven't seen Independence Day in forever, but they're, like for they're, you, they're practical. They're practical aliens. Wait, they were. Oh, I guess I thought he said they were. C- Wait, I, mean, I mean, he's wrong. They're definitely practical yeah. because, you know. He's got to he's got to go get data. Uh, but and, if, and, I li- and I especially like because they don't look like standard. Like they have there's like layers to them. They have like a big huge. suit. Yeah. And then you open up the suit and there's really? another thing inside. It's well, very creative. Like, you know, well, to be fair to Yancy, maybe I am I am mis- misunderstood. Maybe I misunderstood what he's saying. Maybe he's saying that that was more golden age. Maybe I I mean, I wouldn't I be surprised. As I recall, I think he likes Independence Day as far as it's because of the earnestness mixed with the kind of. So you're saying the big. Too. The big scene when we see the the actual alien. Oh, it's true when Will Smith punches it. Oh yeah, yeah them, it's a practical. big practical alien. It's, yeah, it's yeah, 1996. Right. We don't get CG aliens. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, yeah. well, wait. By then we've already got Terminator well, Two. Yeah, but that's all practical. Yeah, too. you have the one guy that's amazing at things always doing visual effects. Sure, he did a good <laughs> job. Like, good, good on but, James Cameron. There there might be some CG things. You know, I'm not denying their CG, but the, the, I mean, part but, of the joy of Independence Day beyond, you know, the Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum stuff, the speech, the, yeah. all besides all of that, in terms of as far as the spectacle goes, it's because it's 96 where it's the best version of of practical effects and miniatures oh, combined miniatures for, sure. yeah, miniatures for sure combined with the CG stuff that's, you know, still somewhat in its infancy. But because Roland Everick is at his best, he can be very good with visual effects. He knows yeah. how to he knows how to choose his moments as when to blend those things. Right. Right, because even Jurassic Park has we think of Jurassic Park as computer generated, but there's a lot of practical oh, a lot of practical effects. Dinosaurs yeah. are only like there's only what, like eight minutes of CG dinosaur footage or what less than that, I think. Yeah. And it's also, you know, again, Steven Spielberg who knows yeah. how to do this. And, and, <laughs> and also that movie just still holds up. It's amazing. And that's a, that's another example of look at all these great characters you love quoting and thinking about and whatnot. Also there's happens to be dinosaurs. Like it knows how to balance <laughs> that. Right. Right. You know, you're not quoting the Raptors. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, they say a lot of mean things, so you can't really, you can't really quote them. Well, he has that one great quote in Jurassic Park three. Alan. <laughs> Wait, which Raptor says that? You know, the Raptor on the, the oh, Raptor, the on the, raptor. The raptor okay, on the plane it. in Jurassic Park three when he's dreaming. I think that the pterodactyl just says squawk. Yeah. yeah, that's that's in the uh, that spin around children's book where you pull the cord and it spins and yeah. Yeah. This has been a lot of talk about Independence Day, by the way. Yeah. Oh, so, so is it my turn? Yes. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron, what have you seen recently? Is it my turn to, to waste another 20 minutes before we get to our main <laughs> topics? <laughs> Hardly a waste when we're talking about some of the best movies of the 90s. I've seen I've seen a, a, a few things. Uh, first is uh, Undine. Um, this is a new film from um, uh, Christian Petzold. He did the films Phoenix and um, Transit from a few years ago, which I was a really big fan of. Uh, he's an international filmmaker, German mainly. I think he's made other films in other languages. This is his latest film. It is a modern-day retelling of the story of the Water Nymph, um, which basically involves a woman who falls in love with a man, and the thing is, if they were to break up, uh, the nymph would have to kill the man. Um, uh, without getting too far into it, there is obviously a supernatural element to this film, but I will just say it is a very solid character study in the way that I've really appreciated from Petzold as a director. He makes these really mm-hmm. 
interesting character-based films that happen to have some kind of high concept or not even high concept necessarily but just like a, the way he builds his world and sets stories up i find to be rather intriguing that's what i really liked about transit which was on my top 10 list of that year um mm. and this is just his latest film and it's also very good that's undine that opens i think this week in theaters okay. um the other things i want to highlight uh first off is barry jenkins the underground railroad uh, which I have not finished yet. I'm halfway through it, but I've been taking it in very slowly because it's magnificent. <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. It's, it's I've e- seen the first episode, or yeah. the are they episodes? Or... Yeah, it's episode. Yeah, it's episodes. Okay. It's, yeah, it's ten episodes, episode. and it's yeah. it's excellent. Like I started watching it on screeners, and I was already like you know taken in by how great they were. And now I, you know since they're now on Amazon, I'm watching it just regularly and. You know, the screeners, like, they look good enough, but now Amazon with, like, the full 4K UHD right. thing going, it just looks so phenomenal. It's just such a, like... Eric uh, Jenkins has a terrific eye for things, and then he get his cinematographer is excellent. Yeah, all of that, and, like, plus Nicholas Bertel's score. I mean, everything, oh, yeah. the acting yeah. is one, like, it's just, this is just fantastic filmmaking that happens to be an episodic series on Amazon right now, so I can't recommend the Underground Railroad enough. And yes, creativity on on uh on these paid networks. Uh huh. And uh yeah, it, it there are areas where it's not the easiest of watches, given that it's about the Underground Railroad. But I do. It is not easy. But I do appreciate what the story is trying to tell. I also appreciate that it's it's based on this novel, The Underground Railroad, which takes a somewhat magical, realistic version of the story uh mainly by having an actual railroad um Correct. in place which is uh fascinating that's not a spoiler that's the first episode no um the other thing i'll mention is master of none season three colon moments in love abe have you checked this out at all yet? i have not started yet no this is so this is aziz ansari's uh series and, except, and alan yanks and out Al, sorry yes you're right yeah that's sorry and alan yang series um this season was uh co-written by 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 Ansari and um and Lena Waithe and it is focused on her character Deb's friend um he she is now the kind of the lead character of the series for this season which is only five episodes and it's they're all each episode is directed by Aziz Ansari oh um it I'll say this it very I've I'm I'm it's only five I'm three episodes into yeah so I think you and I were big fans of the first two seasons if I'm not Mm -hmm. mistaken I I want to see where this goes. I'm not saying it's bad, but I am saying it feels like a lot in a different direction, which mm. by nature of the changing of the lead character and what have you, I can understand that. But it's it's leaning heavily into drama. There's very little comedy in this season, and that's sure. not necessarily a turnoff, but it's just it's very heavy in a way Do you know where who, who wrote these were these written by Aziz and Alan, or is it, it written it, by Lena? It's Aziz and Lena. Yeah. Okay, Aziz and Lena. Yeah. Okay, yeah. And out. I, I mean, like you I, and I, yeah. and Peter as well. We've all seen Lena's work recently. With it is very, uh, it's very heavy at times. You know, she yeah. she wrote Queen and Slim, and she wrote um, them on uh, them, on which stream. which which I hated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> yeah, but they're very heavy topics. You yeah. Know what I mean, but and um, so. yeah, this this is very much heavy as well, and in a way where I, I you know, I want to see where this goes, but it's. And I'm in the middle of it, so granted, it could very much turn in a different direction. But so far, it's like, I don't know what I'm going to achieve by watching this whole season. So I, I want to see where it's going, but it's not as, you know, Master of None. The first season, at least, was fairly slight. The second season had a little more depth to it. Mm-hmm. This is like the epitome of that, but it's just, 
It, it, sure. It feels like a lot. <laughs> and, and I know that Alan Yenny has said in interviews because he's been doing interviews for um for this uh, as well as just like Asian American Pacific Islander uh, type stuff. Mm-hmm. But he, he said that, you know, he and Aziz have talked about uh, they just can't keep making Dev go into like funny situations in Italy. So how can they do this and continue the series uh, but not feel as though they need to do a series every year. And so I I can see why maybe this feels, I haven't started it, but I can see where you're coming from with maybe it's not the strongest uh, season. Yeah, like I'm, I'm totally down with like, uh, you know, exploration of this world. Like like if Dev yeah. only factors in a little bit, which he's, you know, he, so far I've seen him like twice in this season. Oh, he does show up. Okay. Yeah, he's not absent completely. He's just obviously not the focus whatsoever. Mm-hmm um but like yeah it, this world that it and it's not like it's some kind of magical world it's just new york but um like it i wouldn't mind like more you know future versions of this that you know have other things like i don't need a whole season on deb's dad but maybe i do because he's hilarious um, but, um <laughs> regardless you know what i'm saying like if they're yes. gonna keep doing this to some degree without having to find contrived ways to give another dev story doing like ridiculous things like sure like that's cool for the time being, from what I'm seeing so far, is like, yeah, all right, not the best season. Um, Got so. it. Okay. Who knows? Maybe um, next one will come back and be like, oh, these last two episodes just really turned the whole thing around for me, and now I just think it's the best thing ever. <laughs> yeah. Peter, so you're what? saying, mm-hmm. so you're saying her her uh, her role as H in Player Ready Player One is still the pinnacle of her work, is what you're saying. Specifically, when um, she's tackling the Shining um, escape room that they have <laughs> to deal with. <laughs> you know, I. I actually really liked the first two seasons of Ready Player One. I forgot, and actually, a Master of None, a Master of None. Sorry, it rhymes. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, <laughs> and I um, I actually watched the Kaminsky method, basically in the last twenty four, like or basically uh, yesterday and today. It's like, very it's only... easy. It's very easy to watch that. Yeah, show. yeah, which I really like. But when I finished Master of None season three, was like the recommend. Uh, so yeah, I probably will check it out. Um, because I yeah, I like the first two seasons a lot. Is is Aziz's limited role does it feel it's because of everything that happened or no, is it's, it it's feel no. organic to the what their story they're telling no it's organic to the story though it's it, i mean the the focus is just not on him like it's not a matter sure. of like if he if he didn't want to do another season he wouldn't have done another season regardless of who's the focus of it like it's just no they they, they shifted gears because this is creatively where they thought would be interesting to explore so yeah, cool and like the, the the part that he are in like He's both funny and dramatic as far as the stuff that he's doing, which is not unfamiliar with the other seasons of Master of None. Just, you know, he's just not the focus. That's, that's what sure. it comes down to. And it's also like it's very it's very artsy. <laughs> like it very much like it's very it's Bergman inspired. I can tell that as far as like scenes from a marriage in particular is like what they're going for. It's mm-hmm. presented in one. It's presented in the like Academy ratio, which is. Like, it looks really nice as far as I'm watching this very large box on my 4K TV. <laughs> is Academy Ratio 237? No, Academy Ratio is like TV. It's like 133 or 137. Oh, 133. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think like, you know, The Lighthouse or whatever. Um, oh, got it. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So even Actually, I think The Lighthouse is even different because that's like even more of a box than the other <laughs> ones. <laughs> but, um, got it. But regardless, yes, it's presented not it's not widescreen. It's presented in the not like the other two seasons. Though. Not like the other two seasons. Yeah, it's taking yeah. it. And even the second season, like you can see him starting to get, you know, a little more experimental. This season very much feels like a, you know, what not, not exactly a ghost story because I had rounded edges, but it feels like they're, mm-hmm. they're, you know, really trying to do, you know, push the format as far as right. this goes. So, yeah. I watch those things. I also, I'll just one more thing, because I know we should move on, <laughs> but I want to mention it because it's great. <laughs> uh, Criterion Collection released the movie Nightmare Alley. This is a classic film noir starring Tyrone Power. Um, 
I watched it and reviewed it at Why So Blue. It is just phenomenal. It is like one of the best film noirs I've seen in in some time at this point. I mean, it's like I watch my, I enjoy my noirs. I watch them every now and again. I have plenty of them, and just like watching one that I hadn't seen before. My goodness, what a picture! <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's a, just an excellent film noir um, about this con artist who starts at a carnival and ends up being this kind of a mentalist but it's you know it's all schadenfreude it's all like fake but it's just Mm -hmm. about watching his kind of rise and fall from being this kind of nightclub entertainer to falling away from that for various reasons because it's a film noir and things don't always work out for the hero in those movies um but no just excellent excellent film um and i i it's out on criterion now i wouldn't be surprised if it's streaming on like their channel or whatnot but it's just really good so yeah Mm. that's what i've been watching and that's how you do out of quickies (laughs) and that's the show all right so that's part one (laughs) let's uh let's talk about some trailers there's some trailer talk here we talk about one of the news movie trailers of the week when we thought of it what have you and we got a couple trailers this week to go over first up is marvel's eternals this is from academy award-winning writer and director chloe zhao uh, coming off her very stripped-down Nomadland to direct a giant Marvel movie featuring an ensemble cast of characters that includes Gemma Chan, Richard Madden, Kamel Nanjiani, Brian Tyree Henry, Lauren Ridloff, Barry Coogan, Gil Birmingham, Harish Patel, Kit Harrington, Sama Hayek, and Angelina Jolie. Hamish Patel's in this movie? Uh, Harish Patel's in this movie. Oh, Harish. Okay, I was like, wow, this guy's, been, this guy's got an amazing career arc. But no, just a just a famed Indian actor that's been working since you know for decades. But uh, regardless, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, huge cast, big Marvel movie. Chloe Zhao directing. I know nothing about the Eternals, the comic series. But uh, Abe, where where are you with this? I know nothing about the comic series either. The trailer had me hooked, uh, probably because I'm a huge fan of Chloe Zhao. Uh, as we've mentioned many times on this on this podcast um i love the writer uh my favorite film from like 2017 2018 um Accurate. And, and, yeah and i i think that this is you know from everything that i've been reading about uh, chloe giving dailies and marvel being like wow the i guess you know having practical um sets is a really good thing to to do um i've just been impressed by i think the curiosity of where it will go because we're in this phase four. We know things that have happened in phase three already. So where do they take this? And we talked about it with, um, with Shang-Chi where it's like, yeah, maybe it's like, just like the smaller characters that get their, their shine now. Um, and they're going to build off of that because we've already had this Captain America, uh, Thor and Iron Man decade. And so the best, most practical way to go is, um, the stories that you haven't really heard of. So I would be curious like where it goes. I think it looks well shot. Um, kind of gave me some goosebumps early on, but overall I, I'm uh, very looking forward to it. Abe, or you're Abe. Yes. Peter, how about you? What did you think of the trailer for Eternals? I liked it. And I, I would agree that I was, well, I mean, it's more, wait, it, it's a teaser, right? Is it not technically a trailer? I mean, do you want to get the semantics of what to label it? <laughs> what did you think of this first footage of the Eternals that you've seen? <laughs> I, I thought like, kind of like Abe, Abe was saying, um, I was really impressed by how, as a, I haven't seen the writer, but I have, I really love, uh, No Man Land and I could, yeah, I could kind of immediately tell like, the the like the natural landscape it landscape ishness i guess quality of it um very much was like oh yeah that feels like nomad land or whatever um which really impressed me especially 
as as much as I like the MC movie MCU movies, they do have a tendency sometimes to have a a sameness and to it, you know. So I yeah, I definitely visually liked it. I did think though that like I'm I'm not I don't want you know I'm a big person who does not say who who says that it does not have to be like big plot and big character and stuff. Absolutely. Um, but I wasn't necessarily hooked by any of the personalities in this like teaser. I thought the stuff looked cool and everything, but yeah, my bigger impression was more the landscape, the feel, the, the, that feeling that I think she's going for that stuff was really impressive. Um, but like the characters themselves, I was like, ah, I was like, this is okay. Uh, then again, I did like the, the little, the, one of the characters says something about like leading the Avengers because Tony Stark and them, and he's like, I could. Do, that was a nice, funny moment. The guy from Doctor Strange. So, or is that Wong? Is that who that is? No, that's not Wong. No, at that, all. that was no. uh, Rob Stark. Wait, was it Rob? Wait. Well, Rob Stark's the one that said it, but the the person that <laughs> the, the <laughs> wait, Richard Rob Madden Stark? said it. Richard Madden said it. Wait, who's Richard? Uh, I guess I'm forgetting. Yeah, it's the one. it's the it's the one bland white guy that's sitting at that table that says it. <laughs> However, <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on, because you're 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 saying all Asians look alike right now. So I'm going to tell you that Don Lee is not the same as Benedict Wong, who you're yes. referring to from Doctor Strange. Yeah, yeah they're not the same. And I'm yes, take away my Asian card. I am terrible. <laughs> that that is not Don the same Lee, person. who's like the the, uh, the most awesome character in Train to Busan. He plays Gilgamesh, who is the character that is in that room uh, at this combat. Oh. That's where I've seen him before. That's yeah. Oh, I did like him. Okay, sorry. Apologies. I did. To, I did to be like... fair, Dudley has a a stocky look, and from a distance in this very brief trailer, I can understand confusing him with Benedict Wong. That said, it's not <laughs> Benedict Wong's. <laughs> okay, Peter. Half of, half of you is still okay. Um, but no, no. But overall, I liked it. I'm I, doubling I, that, I, leaving I, that all in. That's, that's what's happening there. Yeah. <laughs> But I no, but overall I liked it. I just wasn't I'm not necessarily compelled by what these characters were yet, but I, I have faith in Zhao, so like I'm obviously on board, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't disagree with Abe what you were saying, and obviously I'm just, you know, wishing Peter wasn't on the podcast anymore after that whole Don Lee's guy. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I mean I he, Peter, I understand what you're saying. I do think I mean you wanted to label this yourself a teaser. That's what this is. It's not giving you much because it's not designed to. It's designed to give you a look and feel, and that's what you're responding to as well, which is appropriate, right? This movie it has a it has a good look to it so far. Um, it's yeah. in- interesting because Chloe Zhao, her partner is her cinematographer, uh been something or other that I can't think of offhand. I don't I don't know what it is because he's not the cinematographer on this movie. Um, <laughs> the, the person who shot her other two films has not shot this film. It's actually Ben Davis, who's done a number of Marvel movies. So looking at this so far, I'm like, well, at least, yeah, the, you know, the proper directing was, you know, on on key on on the mark as far as making it look like a film that seems like something that Zhao has done before. Um, but because, yeah, it, like it given the nature of these characters, which are, they're basically like, they're celestials, not unlike Kurt Russell's character in Guardians 2, like, who have secretly lived on Earth over, like, thousands of years and have done a lot to, like, create stuff all over. Like, it, I get that you'd want to, like, present it as, like, these just, they're literally eternal, eternal beings that are just there, kind of monitoring life as we know it, which is, I think that's intriguing. It, may, it gives me this kind of Guardians vibe, except instead of, like, smart alecness, it's just enlightened people. Um, seeing like an ensemble cast that's just people that are watchers 
hey, and it's like Wings of Desire, right, Peter? Like, that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of what I you think know, about I now. I kind of see that, yeah. yeah. So, I, like, I'm very... With, with that said, as you pointed out, yeah, we don't have a lot about story or character, so I'm, I'm just curious what the threat will be in that regard, because so far it just seems like they are, you know, having their having their time existing. So I, I want to see what kind of conflict they are presented with, especially when you're dealing with, what, like eight or nine god characters? Like, what can stop them? Like, what's the threat there? So that's... You're right. I mean, also, I will say it is a noticeably, it's a, it's a slight tweak to a degree but like it's a it's a it's it's noticeable in in its in its um impression i guess because you could argue that like um wakanda is a world that is technologically advanced and part of that part of black panthers part of t'challa's struggle is like should 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 a nation like should a world like wakanda help the rest of the world and uh-huh. in wonder woman you also have is it yeah so that's true, but I don't necessarily know how much the Wakandians or the Themyscarans are are watching what's going on in the world. Whereas this, you're right, this is definitely these eight individuals. They know what's going on, and they have mostly let, like you said, just been watchers. And it it is still a feeling of things that are power, you know, something powerful and maybe more intelligent than us than the rest of the world. But yeah, it's a slight difference because i don't necessarily know about how much in wakanda they're even keeping up with what's going on in the world in, in the rest of the world i guess yeah so i'll be curious to see you know more of what comes with that and obviously there's going to be something because kiyomeo nanjani did not get jacked for no reason he's going to fight something in this thing right so we'll, we're gonna act <laughs> well, gonna... who knows maybe maybe he just got fit just to fit up fill out the role play like <laughs> god dominoes or something <laughs> god knows regardless uh eternals arrives in theaters and imax and all that and november 5th so get ready yeah uh let's move on to our second trailer this is for old this is the new m night Shyamalan film which he both wrote and directed although it is based on a graphic novel called sandcastle so his first well not his first because it's air airbender but an an adaptation (laughs) um but regardless uh this film features a family that travels on vacation to a tropical beach uh, that is secluded only for them to realize the beach is causing them to age rapidly uh, within a single day. The film stars Val Garcia Bernal, Vicky Creeps from The Phantom Thread, Rufus Sewell, Ken Leung, a bunch of other people. I am very intrigued by this, as I usually am by Shyamalan films, especially when they're, you know, original projects that I just don't know what to expect from. Peter, where, where are you? You're a Shyamalan guy, right? I am. I think overall, I and I, I watched the trailer today with my girlfriend, and she was intrigued until his name came up, and she was like, "Ugh, this is gonna be terrible." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, come on!" I was like, "It's a good. This is a solid premise." And she, and her argument was like, "Yeah, he always has these like intriguing ideas, and then he can't follow through." Like, I am always hoping that you know, I don't want glass. You know, I want. Um, you know, I want his earlier work, I guess. So, um, yeah, I thought this looked good. And and also, if I'm right, isn't it you're you're saying it's the actress from Phantom Thread? Yes. Is the daughter is that the Jojo Rabbit person? Yes, Thomasin McKenzie from that and Leave No Trace. She plays I mean at least one version of the daughter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Given um, the aging factor. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. But I know I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm totally on board. I was like, it's a good premise. I was like, this feels this would work for 90 to 100 minutes. It's a good cast. <laughs> Is that like, how you gauge things? This looks like it would work for 90 to 100 minutes. 
Wait, what'd you say? Is that I'm like, a, is that a general way you judge things? Is this, this looks like it could no, work for 90 I mean, to 100 minutes. I'm just thinking a guess. I'm, I mean, if you tell me this Eternals, this looks like a good 120, 130 minutes, but if it's longer than that, I don't know about this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, not necessarily. It just, it looks like the kind of thing that would be like a, like I said, like a, a somewhat tighter, like feature film. Um, But yeah, no, no, I thought I, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm intrigued. I hope it, I hope it goes somewhere. And yeah, I especially, I will say that I know M Night gets a lot of flack as this whole, like, Oh, very early, you know, he was always about these surprise endings, but like, that was like 20 years ago. I really don't think his movies, this is not that. I mean, I mean there I, might be as I, as I as as surprise at the end, but I've I mean, counted many times less than like more, like, like a third of his movies have a twist. Like it's not really many. <laughs> Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, twist. Yeah, that's, no, actually, that sounds about right. I was like, like, I'm not gonna count them all right now, but like, you can look at all these, which includes ones that see, people seem to think have a twist. Like, Signs doesn't have a twist in it. Like, there's things that are revealed, but there aren't plot twists. Like, there's only a, <laughs> only a few of his movies have like actual plot twists in them. Right, right. Regardless, I mean. Right, and I would I would say the I would say the sting at the end of Split. Is more was more at the time a fun Easter egg. I do not think that's a twist. That's not or a twist. That's just a, by the way, this happens to be here. <laughs> Correct in the same universe. Right. So what are you saying? Are the tw- twists? Movies? I don't know why I'm trying to preserve the split twist when there's a whole movie that's like this is there, what happens. There's a, yeah, like you know, there's a second follow-up. Right? It's called Twenty One so, Bridges. So wait, wait. So would you say uh, Six Sense and Unbreakable? I said those I don't, don't want to count these. Twists. No, those don't. Those are not twist movies. Uh, is that it? Am I forgetting? No, what six, if, I mean, oh. six, okay, Jesus, now we're doing this. Six Sense, <laughs> Village, um, uh, The Visit. Wait, what's the twist in The Visit? I guess spoiler alert. Oh, Peter. Come, come on, on Peter. <laughs> oh my God, I guess I ever... Wait, isn't The Visit the big, the Handycam video about the old, the grandparents thing? Yes, uh, it is. Yes, it is. Well, we know that that's not a twist because you know it in the first 20... A twist to me is the last five seconds. That's the twist, isn't it? Like Six Sense. I mean, I, are we I, just if we're counting that, then none there's of a whole offline are... discussion as far yeah. as the twist of the visit. But yeah, the visit has a very significant twist as far as what the log line says versus what's actually happening. Wait, isn't the log line they're going they're, they're going, going to, to visit their grandparents? Yes, that's the log line of the, of the, <laughs> yes, of the visit. <laughs> This is a lot of talk yeah. about uh, M. Night Shyamalan. I mean, I just don't, I guess I, I only saw Visit once, but I don't remember thinking we it was We'll talk big... about this later, because we need okay. to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but, hey, but yes, once you Aaron, said, what, yes. what did you think of, of the trailer? I think this trailer is great. I think it is a great trailer. I have no idea what to expect, because yes, I really like, I really want, I feel like everyone, well, everyone that's not like, stereotypically being like, oh, Shyamalan, bleh. I think like, you know, film people that respect the guy for, you know, being ambitious generally want him to succeed. I don't think anyone's thinking like, I hope Shyamalan blows it. Like we want to watch a good movie from him because we know he's capable of it. I, I don't know here, which is, it's not really a lack of confidence. It's just more of, I really like what it's setting up, but I'm, I have trepidation over if it can really deliver on something that you know really like hits all the bases right i i can see there's a clear metaphor here as far as you know uh, the idea of you know growing older and watching your you know your children which am i chaman he has like several children like watching them grow up fast before your eyes like i can see what he i I can can already see like things he's going for thematically so I, i really hope that he's able to both tie the thematic ideas he has in mind with this interesting you know supernatural story about a 
speech that's causing people to you know grow older like that's inherent that's a great high concept so i just want to see him pull it off but i mean he has a great cast for sure like i you know i'm looking forward to seeing how this movie plays out based off just the people he's assembled for an original project which is always something i you know want to have high hopes for but dave how about you yeah I, I would agree with that the cast is the most intriguing part of this to me yes it's cool that there's an island that has some strange properties but at the same time you know we've seen short stories movies like that I, it'd be great to find out when we do find out what the what peter is calling the twist is um in the last five seconds of the movie no less but uh, i i think that overall i'm curious to see how it goes m night Shyamalan has been on a i would say that he's been on like the comeback streak well it uh, was so to... and then we saw glass <laughs> i mean you know it yeah. Bruce Willis drowned in a puddle. Um, and but, it's, not, it's not like I was the biggest fan of Split either, but I mean, regardless, yes. I yeah, mean, he, he's he's kind of been back since you know, some of the other things, but I would be curious to see how this one works out. And, you know, what Peter said, I think that it's probably going to be like a 90-minute movie, maybe like a 100-minute movie, so it'd be interesting just to see how quickly it goes. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see yeah. how it all plays out. Uh, July 23rd. Oof, coming up. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to our main, first main review for Cruella. She thought she owned everyone. That's foolish. Unhinged. Well, you're fired. Oh. Why are you speaking? I think you've licked me. But there's something about poetic justice that's just so poetic. You won't admit you love me. And so, how do you have a light? Get her. This doesn't have to be a scene. It really, really does. I'd like to remind you all that I'm doing this in heels. What was your name? Cruella. All right, that should have been some of the trailer for Cruella. Something modern audiences may not be aware of. Disney turned Dodie Smith's original book, 101 Dalmatians, into a major franchise. The original 1961 animated film was a giant hit that pulled the studio out of a financial slump, and adjusted for inflation has earned over $900 million over its 60-year history. The 1996 live-action film featuring Glenn Close made over $320 million, and the 2000 sequel 102 Dalmatians came in a little under $200 million, but earned an Oscar nomination for Best Costume Design. People like the Dalmatian series, and it should be a little surprised that Disney found a way to keep milking the franchise with an origin story for one of the most notorious villains, Cruella de Vil. Emma Stone stars in this film, which focuses on her early days as a young fashion designer, with a dangerous edge that puts her up against Emma Thompson's similarly wicked Baroness. Peter... As you've just decided to explain to me off off mic, you 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 are not too familiar with the Dalmatian series, though I assume you at least have awareness of who Corella Deville is. What did you think of this origin story for this character? Um, I thought this was a movie that like uh, I thought that I feel like this is a kind of a thing that's going on in with I guess what we call it like antiheroes maybe lately because I feel like Joker's sort of like this too where we have these characters that it seems like their biggest problem is like themselves. Like they can't get out of the, they, they don't know how to get out of their own way. And like, that's kind of their problem. It's not really external. And it, I mean, I guess it's internal. That's all fine. I mean, that's, we can go into all that later. My bigger issue was that I really felt the first act of this movie i want to say like first like 20 minutes 40 minutes of the movie i kind of felt i thought i kind of felt like the film itself couldn't get out of the way i saw in some review there are no less than 37 needle drops in this movie and like 
a lot of them feel in that first act. I'm not saying it's like a terrible movie like a Suicide Squad thing, but I really was kind of struggling with how the first act is very reliant on all these familiar songs from like the 60s. And it's not really storytelling as much as it is like Emma Stone's Cruella character very quickly narrating a previously on type vibe. So we just see like her and then all this stuff happening. Having said that, and then getting more to the meat of it, once you get to Emma Stone and once the movie kind of starts to breathe, um, yeah, like I... So 10 I minutes go- into the 134-minute movie? <laughs> Wait, what'd you say? 10 minutes into the 134-minute movie? I don't think it's 10 minutes. It felt like, I mean, technically you're right. I don't I don't have, a, I, I wasn't looking at my watch, but it feels like it, it felt like it took forever to get there. Like I, but you might be right. Maybe it is only 10 minutes, but, um, but I enjoyed it. Yes, I like I definitely think Stone is well well cast. I think the rest of the cast I go back and forth. I think uh wait, is Emma, is Emma Thompson the villain? Is yes. it, it's Emma Thompson, right? Yep. She's great. Like she I thought she was terrific. Obviously a big reason people are going to see this that aren't kids is like the costumes, the production design. All that's really good. Like it does a really good job of like taking this like late 50s 60s aesthetic of what like fashion and manners were in like London and how counterculture of that, of the, you know, late sixties is kind of forcing that out and, you know, creating like a, a punk chaos. Like that stuff's great. Like all her shows, all that stuff's all that very entertaining. And that's, that's what I think most people are going to be seeing the movie for. And then lastly, I would say for the Disney live action movies, this is the, yeah, I mean, it's definitely like top, three like it's pretty good like like i i can see i can totally see rewatching this i might might fast forward a little in the beginning but like yeah i i I had a pretty good time abe how about you yeah i i have zero knowledge of the animated movie and movies and then i also have never seen the glenn close movies um so coming into this yes i know who corilla deville is i know who the 101 dalmatians are i mean it's a great halloween costume for people to to dress up as um, probably one of the most uh, well-known villains um, in the Disney universe. Um, so this movie is interesting because I wasn't sure what it was going to be about. We've seen the trailers and we've talked about the trailer, but when it starts, it starts with Cruella being, you know, a, a 10 year old or a 12 year old. And it's very, it kind of took me, a, uh, caught me off guard a bit. Cause I was like, Oh, this is to Peter's point, an anti-hero story slash like, origin you know story and what i like about this movie is that there are great technical aspects of this movie the costume design is fantastic the production design is is splendid you know there's a really good like set design so a lot of like the design aspects of this movie are great to peter's point though the things that i kind of didn't like about this movie as much are you know the forty-two thousand needle drops uh, in the beginning of the movie which they do serve a purpose you know, the, lyrically, they serve a purpose for what's happening on the screen. So they're kind of we talked about this just like very recently as well, Scorsese-esque, right? Um, but the the thing about it is that I I dug that it's I dug its story in uh, from a twenty thousand foot view, which is to say, it's a revenge story. It's a movie about a person on a specific mission uh, to try and accomplish what she's trying to accomplish. Um, and beyond that, it it's not like the best written movie. You know, when you're listening to this dialogue between all the characters, not the best. Uh, some of the acting, 
some of the kid acting is not not the greatest, but you know you quickly move into the adult acting and that that helps out. The other thing is also yeah you do get senses of Devil Wears Prada, some Phantom Thread, some um, uh, of these other quote unquote prestige movies, and I think that really helps it because it doesn't go goofy, like you know it doesn't go slapstick I should say like there's no like images of dogs overrunning the kitchen and then the chef spills all the food. I mean, there's a little slap. There's some dog stuff that happens in this movie. There's some dog stuff. Yeah, (laughs) sure. But you know, it it doesn't go, I don't think it's like consciously trying to go for that tone of movie because it does have like a a darkish aesthetic, but overall, like it's, it's an interesting movie. Like I, I think that it's good in the live action sense, but I also was also curious, like, I don't really know why this movie was made. So that's kind of like where I fall in it. I think this is one of the best live action Disney reimagining things that we've seen in recent years. That's not to say that, you know, it's some kind of super high tier because they're mostly okay movies. I think Jungle Book is my favorite of these. And even that is like a solid B, B plus as opposed to, Mm -hmm. you know, something better. But regardless, compared to like the slavish remakes of Lion King and Beauty and the Beast, this is far better because it just has personality to it. Like what I like about this movie is what director Craig Gillespie, who... I think we kind of like on this show because he did the Fright Night remake, which I think is fantastic. He did Itania, which is really good. And he did, of course, Abe's summer pick for 2014 million dollar arm. So, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the track record here, he also did yeah, Lars. Let me down. He also did Lars and the Real Girl, which I think Ryan Gosling is very good in as well. But regardless, I what I like about this movie is it feels like Gillespie and his team came in and were like, we can do more than just make money. We can actually like try. And that's not to say that they don't try on these other movies. There's all these workers that do all these things, and there's fantastic special effects and pioneering and whatnot that John Favreau is doing with some of these. But this movie, like, it just has something going for it. Where even like a Tim Burton Alice in Wonderland couldn't capitalize on it. Just that movie yeah. felt so like flat. Where this movie feels like it has life to it and personality and and even a little bit of edge. It's a Disney movie, so I wasn't expecting like actual edge. But in terms of you know watching a movie like this that wants to like wants to do something stylistically it accomplishes that constantly i like i not only do we get like the cool costume designs and the production values and what have you but like even just the camera like it's moving it, it feels like it's doing something on screen it's not a very it's not a flat movie you have elaborate shots where like uh, corella jasper and horace are like running after a bus and then the camera follows them into the bus and you keep moving it's like cool i like this stuff i like that the movie seems to have a you know have a have a have something going for it beyond just hey, look, we did this, and you're going to pay for it. So in that respect, I enjoyed that there was just effort being made that felt conscious to me. As far as the like the film itself goes, I certainly liked the middle portion the most, which felt like an anti-superhero movie, as far as giving a character with a dual persona going after this kind of, in this, yeah, like you said, a revenge plot, uh, trying to take on this you know, sinister fashion designer by becoming their own sinister fashion designer. Like, that's fun. That's a fun way to do something with Cruella, that feels like you know feels in line with what we know about the character while avoiding you know the if you take it on its face the kind of dark stuff involving animal murder for the sake of skins and i guess the smoking because you can't do that although she freely drinks throughout the film so that's cool i guess for kids um so no i i mean i I had fun with this movie i can't say i had any like issues with the needle drop stuff just because it's i don't know like it's a campy disney movie like i it doesn't bother me and it's not it didn't like suicide squad it felt obnoxious this is just like all right they can do it they did it I, I i'm not against hearing these songs in a movie that's designed for like a certain kind of audience it's, i mean there's there, there's nothing like 
it is really like a lot of style over any sense of substance beyond like surface level stuff. But I mean, I think the production's well handled and I, you know, the performance are fun. Uh, Stone is having a lot of fun as Cruella in a, a performance that, you know, requires you to have a kind of bigness to it. Obviously, if you've seen, you know, Glenn Close's portrayal, let alone the original portrayal in the Disney movie, that's like a, that's a dream of a performance to have as far as like getting to play this kind of big, vampy character and you know big costumes or what have you like so that works and then like you know emma thompson's doing her best english meryl streep um for this movie which is like <laughs> cool all right um and you know the rest of the sporting like mark strong shows up and like why is mark strong in this um and then it's like oh that's why you get like a mark strong reason. being mark strong yeah um but no overall no i was really like i didn't know what to expect because like I mentioned Craig Gillespie, like him doing another Disney movie. He's done a few of these because he did like um, the finest hours, right? That boat movie with Casey Affleck and, um, and uh, Chris, Chris Pine. Pine. Yeah. Which is like, it just, like, it feels like that's like a, anybody could have did this, but here's the guy with a Disney contract. So I was like, well, what are we going to get here? And I don't know if I, Tanya shook him up or whatnot, but like he, he put the effort in. So I was impressed. I was impressed by all that. Like it, and it's, you know, it, it's kind of weird. I like that the, this is a Disney big budget movie that's got a little weird to it like that's that's more fun than just seeing a standard like here's a retelling of this thing you've seen before so no, i was yeah. into it yeah and, and just speaking on the, the standard retelling of things i mean that's kind of where i was curious as to like well where can you take this story and I, hopefully it's not the same because from my understanding the glenn close movies are, are pretty similar to the the cartoon in terms of overall story plot well, the, yeah the first, i mean the 102 is just its own thing um, yeah but the the thing about this is, you know, it, it was interesting that they did take on this. Hey, Cruella, we'll give you more of an interesting story arc. You're still kind of like a bad person because we're, we're acknowledging that that you uh, have trouble with authority and that you are, you know, a person that that seemingly uh, just uh, wants to be your own person and you know causing a, a bunch of havoc. But yeah, it was very neat to to see that they would expand on this something that I, I didn't think that they were going to do. And so it, it came as a pleasant surprise. I, I will say that I think the, the way it, like I, what I like is that it's not, it's presenting somewhat of like a parallel reality where you have this Corella character who in like our life, we know it's a person that, you know, kidnapped dogs to make a fur coat, which is like, that's not the best. Um, so <laughs> what I like about this movie is it, it's, you know, it gives you the Owen Wilson. Maybe she didn't like, it gives you this kind of, <laughs> this kind of like, well, maybe that's just the legend that we know about her. But what if she's really more of this kind of thing where she's not necessarily evil, despite even taking on the last name of Deville, but mm-hmm. you know, the, the machinations that led her to being a certain way, we're getting to explore that, but also maybe it's not quite what it seems as far as where this could go. If we were to continue going down this route with, with with Estella, like what this would actually yeah. turn into, I I don't know. I just like I the fact that I had no expectation for this and that this movie managed to give me like something to chew on was like okay, no pun intended. That, that, that's fun. Like I <laughs> like I, I enjoyed that. <laughs> right, Peter. Well, how about I mean, you? What what do you like? Where, where do you think? I, do you do like? Did you enjoy like presenting Corella Deville this way? Yeah, I thought that I because yeah, because again, I don't really know 101 Dalmatians and stuff, but like. I knew that I, I was pretty sure that she was not really going to kill dogs or something. like. I was like, oh, I'm like, there's no way that's going to happen. I'm right. like, but what are they going to do to subvert that? And I think what they do works pretty well. I think my issue, and this is a classic, this very much could be a classic thing of 
you know, what is the story versus a direction it could have gone in is that it feels to me like um, you have a character who at a very young age has this love of like uh, fashion and style and everything. And they, and there's a, there's a pretty cool scene or uh, pretty early in the movie where she has this really crappy job, but she's working at um, a very, like a posh department, um, store. department store. And there's a, she's like, she's on her lunch break and she sees like a, um, a mannequin with, you know, a clothes. She's like, ah, oh. she's like, that dress is terrible. You know, she doesn't say the dress is terrible, but she's very, she's very much just like, oh, this could be so much better. No, she and does say, she, she pretty much says it's terrible. Like she's like, I don't know, was that, well, I wasn't sure she literally said, I was like, did she literally say terrible? She said, like, she did, but, not only did she say it terrible, she said it twice. She said, it's like, this looks horrible. And he's like, what? He's like, this looks horrible. <laughs> well, no, I thought she said something like, it could be so much better or something. That's what I thought no, she, she said. said it's but, like, it's uh, horrible. And like, you'd think that when she's asked to repeat it the second time, she'd substitute that. It was like, oh, it looks not like she, you know, she'd fake it. She, bro, just, she just repeats it and says it louder. <laughs> like, that's what I kind of like about like, this. No, 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 no. I do like that. But what, when that, when that scene happened, I was like, okay, why is it horrible? Uh, I'm like, can, like, we've, and this is a big thing I have in like movies of like, um, when you have a, when you have movies about people who have a certain skill set, like it could be playing, uh, it could be playing chess or it could be being a race car driver or whatever. It's, can I, as the viewer, not only gain an appreciation for why they love this thing, but also it's fun as a viewer, if you can start to know, oh, that's what makes this good and this bad. And so when that scene happens, I was like, why is that bad? I'm like, I don't necessarily know why that dress is bad. What they do, of course, is she basically um, t basically t takes that she takes that window dressing and she kind of converts it into her own thing. And then we see maybe we don't necessarily maybe we don't necessarily see good or bad, but we see what her point of view is. So we see how what 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 she originally sees and then what she creates are drastically different. So and Emma Thompson I really liked that. that. I did. Absolutely. I, I absolutely appreciated that. Um, what I, what I, to, to, to go off that, what I like, what right. I like about that is what the film's doing with its set and it's setting in time. Cause it's like, Abe, you mentioned it's like, it's, I think it's, it's set in the seventies, but yes, obviously 70s, like, obviously yeah. like 50s, 60s culture, like it's rubbing up against each other and the punk movement starting to take off. I like, I like that it's, you know, it's a Disney movie. So it's like, I'm not going to get a full examination of like punk culture or whatnot, but I do like that it's bringing in that element as a as a way to contrast it very specifically where that scene where yes you see the opening window like display it's very plain it's a dress on a mannequin and the mannequin's posed with like a handout or whatever and there's nothing else going on and then it becomes this like black and white and red all over um kind of like art <laughs> exhibit that she makes Did you and, mean to say that? i mean i got there as i was saying it so i'll go with it uh but like and the mannequins pose in a different like it's like you're saying it's a very extreme contrast but it also reflects like it's that carries through the movie as far as the types of stuff we're seeing is all it's a move away from the conservative it's a move towards this kind of radical rebel punkish look uh, that's kind of this consistent thing as far as what Corella sees or Estelle, whatever, um, as the kind of the way of the future uh, balanced against the Baroness, who is in the middle, right? Like, she seems like she's one that she understands style, she understands evolution of style, but she also has an old-fashioned way of th It's like, it's a clashing thing. I Like, that's the, I appreciated that stuff. Well, Again, I think like, that I that's like the middle. Like, <laughs> well, I guess to me, that's where I felt like I wish the movie had gone further, because in that scene... I agree. Is it Hannah? Is that is that the villain's name? Who's the 
Emma Thompson. Ba- the ba- Baroness. It's the Baroness. The Baroness. Yeah. So the Baroness shows up and she's like, that's the only person who's made anything worthwhile, which is how, you know, she gets the job. But of course, as the movie goes on, what they do is all the Baroness's stuff, right, seems more old and all of Corella's stuff, right, is punk and cool and everything. I kind of wish, and I can't think of an example, maybe you, you two can, but there's a thing that's happened in stories like this where you have two people who have d- two different ways of seeing some kind of art form, and there is a moment where our hero or whatever can destroy their comp- their their competitor's work. Maybe it's, you know, whatever. I thought it would have been really cool if, if there was a scene where Corella maybe was going to destroy a dress or something, and she can't do it because she actually thinks the dress is really beautiful. Because to me, that speaks to a higher purpose of the character, that it's like, it's not just about getting revenge, it's also about making something beautiful. And I have to concede that this person who I despise made something beautiful. If the movie had done that, mm-hmm. I think intellectually, that would have been way more interesting. It's like, oh, what does she do? She really, appre- but it doesn't do that. And I guess that's the stuff, that's the stuff to me where I still like this movie, but that's sure. the stuff of why it's not a great movie. Well, that's Peter, I, I would mm-hmm. just say that it's a Disney movie. That's I know. My, that's my thought. That's exactly what I was going to say too. <laughs> but that's the, that's the thing though. <laughs> which you're I, not, get, be, I totally get what you're saying, which is like, you know, I reference, I reference Phantom Thread and I referenced um, The Devil Wears Prada, which are movies that could take that leap and say like, hey, by the way, it's also about the fashion. And there's like a deeper sense of, me loving this fashion and how it, it encapsulates my life. Um, and this movie's just like, yeah, it's there. Um, and it's great to see it because I think the garbage the garbage dress scene was was fantastic. I was like, oh, this is really clever. And yeah, the, the well costume done. design by, I believe, uh, Jenny Bevan, I believe, who she did. Um, great. I, I, she did uh, Mad, Mad Max Fury Road, among other things. But um, oh. oh, nice. But um, you're not wrong as far as what you're wishing you could have had in this movie. And yeah, we're not about saying what a movie should have had instead of what it does have. That's not the way to criticize film. But in terms of like, yeah, how you, a different way to approach this as far as being more narratively creative. Yeah. There'd be more examination of the, of the fashion world, except you're like Abe said, it's a Disney movie. And also, you know, I think, I mean, that's the flaw, right? That's why this is merely good and not great. It, like you said, it's because it, it needs to, which is also weird because it's like it's an, it's over two hours and it doesn't need to be. It's way too long and yet yes. it's not no, too it's not answer. it's not too long in the right ways. Like I'd yeah, for, I'd for, I'd forgive that length if that time was spent on characters or on like the main crux of this, which is fashion worlds clashing against each other. That's interesting to me because for one thing we don't get many movies like that, especially blockbuster films like that. But also you know what else do you have to go on and what it else has to go on is well it's also it's like a, it's like a caper film right like you have Estella. And Horace and Jet, you have uh, Joel Fry, who I like quite a bit, and Paul Walter Hauser. Like, you have them, you know, slightly bumbling around, like, pulling off elaborate missions of sorts. Sometimes they involve the fashion, sometimes they're just, like, pickpocketing stuff or, like, doing the... And regardless, it's an excuse to have action scenes, basically, right? They're not maybe gunfights yeah, and whatnot, were... but they're action scenes, and that pads out the movie. But I'm like, so why did we need to do that? Like, why did we need to have these other side characters that, like, push this film well over two hours? Like, what what gain True. is there there like what the what is I, it's not for me to say like who's this for because it, i get who it's for i understand that there's an audience for this and for, especially when it comes to a you know a, a, a strong female lead that's not like designed to be this impeccable person but in fact someone that can be detestable at times like that's yeah. neat that's something we don't get very often 
at the same time, why does it have like action scenes inserted in to pad this thing to over two hours? Like, what are we getting out of that? I don't know exactly. I don't know that, but I mean, there's there's like character development and character arcs for people that you're just like, why do we need to know how this person feels? Uh huh. Or you know, or how these people feel. Or like and, it's bringing uh, in characters that are connected to one to one Dalmatian specifically, and it's like I get why that's there, but do we really need that? I mean, it's a right. movie about Corella. Like we get it. Eventually, that'll happen. <laughs> like, I mean, to be to look to to credit to credit is it Gillespie? Is that the actor? The sorry, the director's Greg, name? Greg Gillespie. Yes. Greg Gillespie. I mean, to credit Gillespie in the production and the casting, and I, and again, I don't, I don't know who wrote it, but like thinking of I Tanya. Both I, Tanya and this movie, they do a pretty good job of like, we have our anti-hero and then we have the Allison Janey mom and now we have and we have the um, Emma Thompson Baroness. Both of those actresses and the roles are very much allowed to be engaging and entertaining. Like, yeah, we know they're the, the we know that they are they are in opposition to our hero or whatever, but they get a lot of really good work. Like there's a lot, Janie and Thompson get a lot of really fun moments. Yeah. But that's also a film that was nominated for best screenplay. I mean, like it's... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I mean, so that's good. So that's good. I mean, Thompson's having a ball. Like, I mean, that's, yeah. that's great. You know, I, I, if I, anything, I, well, she is, she is having a ball. And I would say if anything, the movie's better because Gillespie's here to give it something more than just, Look, we made a Disney Corella movie. Like it just, it, right. like right. I, that's, and I think we're all in agreement on there. Like the the benefit of the direction and everything else that's involved in this film is, it seems to have all gone towards making a film that you're, you know, engaged by, as opposed to what we've seen from some of these other ones. Like, right, as yeah. visually interesting as Lion King could be, as far as getting all of that within one movie, it just couldn't. For one thing, it just couldn't compare it to the animated original, and also mm-hmm. it just it just felt flat. Like I, I've had many problems with that that were just, it felt like a, it felt like a, we, we made this because we knew it would made money. Like that's what sure, it felt like. Yeah. I, I, I agree. I, at the time I said like, there's a pioneering aspect as far as what Favreau is doing with visual effects that'll be used in other films for years to come. That's interesting to me, but for the film itself that resulted from that, you know, initial trial, nothing came out of that like sure. I, it had made a billion and a half dollars <laughs> so. <laughs> well i have a question for you both where where would this go like where would you where are they thinking about taking corella further or does this just like provide another platform for what you guys have both described as um probably one of the better live action disney movies you know this cinderella maybe some other ones that come yeah, to mind cinderella, cinderella definitely is one of the better ones for in my opinion i mean it's disney so like i wouldn't say never as far as planning out further films for this to go mm-hmm. and i do think it leaves a lot of runway as far as hey we can still go on with this character the problem is like i mentioned at the beginning of the show it didn't do great in its opening weekend so sure. like i'm not you know, just like we're not exactly getting Pete's Dragon 2 still dragoning anytime soon. I think um, <laughs> Corella, uh, Corella 2, black and white and even harder. Um, I, I don't know if that's in the cards, you know, right away. But with Disney Plus, who knows what happens anymore? <laughs> so, I yeah, mean, I, yeah I, I can't imagine. If Peter, it, Peter, like, would you welcome more of this? How about that? I would. I'd be curious to see. OK, well, well, wait, I would welcome more of. Yes. Well, one, I do think that we can acknowledge that this movie is made, sure, for probably at least starting at a younger, a somewhat younger audience. But like any other series, you can then assume that your audience starts to grow up. So I would think if you did a sequel, hopefully you get you get rid of the more bumbling heist stuff that to me feels like it's made for like a 10 year old like that. 
I, like, again, like it's me. I'm just like, ah, I'm so bored, like with that stuff. But I don't necessarily think you would need that in the sequels. I think sure. you'd be like, ah, we don't need this. Like we can we can focus on Cruella and I don't know if it'd be another designer or something like that. You, I, I can agree yeah. because my example there is, well, Maleficent, the first one, which is terrible, um, was a rape revenge <laughs> story. And the second one was about genocide. So it's like, well, those movies seem to do something interesting. With what they had <laughs> right. That's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, I would agree. Um, I mean, actually, just speak on um, on uh, Maleficent Part Two, Mr. Seville, or something like that. You, you got it. But yeah, that one was interesting because Peter, that that to your point, is something that I think you, Aaron, and I, and I think Scott was on that episode, where it's like we all agreed that it just you they were gonna go somewhere, and then they didn't, and that kind of took away from the overall experience of the movie. Wait, what are we talking about? Uh, or Mr. Seville. But I, that's the one that did go somewhere. That's why I like Mr. It Steve. did. It did go <laughs> somewhere, this... but they did. It, I, I felt as though it didn't go. It didn't I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not like it's not. It's not a great. It's not a great film. I agree with you there. Uh, but in, yeah. <laughs> but like, given that I really didn't like the first one, I did like the I second one because because it's like this one has this crazy war battle at the end and features like genocide taking place among no, fairy totally. creatures. Yeah. <laughs> so right. it's like, well, that I didn't see that coming as a sequel pitch. In fact, looking at these. I like the sequels more than the like because I like Alice Through the Looking Glass more than Alice in Wonderland. So, if anything, Cruella's got nowhere to go but up in my book right now, <laughs> given the track record. Um, I mean, I do. And, I, and Barry that. Jenkins is doing the next Lion King movie, right? So, I mean, we're all set as far as the sequels go. To these there you go. And there's wait, a, you know, wait. What is the next? Do we? Um, is there a schedule for? What the next live action Disney there movie is? is. Um, offhand, I. Mm, oh, Mermaid. Mermaid, yeah, Mermaid is the. I don't know if that's next, but it's in production, I believe. Mm-hmm. I, I have to assume that's next. I don't know what else is, will be next. And they're like, they've talked about Hercules and they've talked about Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I don't know what like huh. is currently like in. God, and Little Mermaid's Rob Marshall, so that's gonna suck. But um, <laughs> oh, you may never I, know. I hope for the best. I hope for the best. But I mean, yeah, that, that that's not inspiring me to be like, oh, man, can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of them have like no none of them have like a set date right now. I know Little Mermaid's next. I assume Snow White has to happen at some point. That just makes sense. Um, and the rest are just, you know, Barry Jenkins is signed on for God for a Lion King prequel. And uh, Aladdin, I assume we'll get a sequel because why wouldn't it? Um, it made a bunch of money. Revenge of Jafar? <laughs> Return, Return of Jafar. Like, no, oh, I think Return they I think they even specifically said, like, we're making sequels, but it's not going to be that or King of Thieves. Like, they're going to make their huh. own thing. Okay. Um, Why don't they... Actually, it seems weird, though. Why don't they, like, remake something that's more like a name we all know, but isn't necessarily seen as a great movie? Like, maybe, like, Black Cauldron or... or, or um... Because they won't make money, Peter. That's why. But it's still a well. They, they no, did do they didn't do Black Cauldron, but they did. Uh, they did the other puppet movie. Well, they did Pete's Dragon, which didn't make money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if talk about uh, no the Dark Crystal, yeah. Dark Crystal, which well, is that not was, really a Disney. Well, that was a that was a Netflix episodic series, which yeah. was canceled after its first season. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so. Oh, Zemeckis so. is doing Pinocchio. That's the other thing. Another one. Zemeckis is doing Pinocchio. Yeah, we needed more Pinocchio. That and just it, got nominated this past year for. <laughs> Well, yeah, the Italian one, but um, and David Lowry, he's D Delo, as we like to call him on this podcast. D-Lo. He's doing, he's doing uh, Peter Pan and Wendy. So wow, I mean, I think I think the moral of the story is, uh, you're not allowed to do anything new. <laughs> yeah, Got it. Much. Okay. Anyhow. Yeah. 
You know, it'd be weird. Oh man, I hope me me saying this doesn't <laughs> curse us or whatever. Go on. But because Disney owns it all, man, do you think they would move into making live action versions of the Pixar movies? No. No. I mean, the way that they're treating Pixar right now is like kind of like a, a slap in the face already. Well, so I, 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 they, yeah, really, for sure. Also, what would they do? Like, <laughs> there's only like one or two of them that are focused on. Let's humans. actually have Tom Hanks play Woody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like Peter, like what? Peter, what would that actually be though? Like the Incredibles? Like why? They yeah. Have the, they have the MCU. Yeah. Like they don't need to make a live action Incredibles. There's, it's but true. also the Incredibles, Incredibles is amazing. Humans, it is, like, but it's like what you know. Most of their movies are not focused on humans, so it's like, what would we get out of a CG version of a CG thing? Right. <laughs> I mean, you could make, you could, in my opinion, you could make a better version of Brave. I mean, <laughs> like that's uh, one of the that was great differences. So. Though there, there were some great things about Brave that I really liked. There are that, her, that, like her yeah. hair's great, but I mean, like I, <laughs> that's I mean, not what I was thinking about. But yeah, um, sure. well, the hair, I mean, the hair was an accomplishment. Hair is great. Yeah, yeah. the hair's fantastic. Got, like, there's like great. some obscene number as far as how many strands they animated for that film. But regardless, that movie also made a bunch of money and won an Oscar for best animated feature. So it's not like they're 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 more proud of it than we are, guys. I mean, <laughs> true, 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 true. Um, yeah, I don't know where they're. I guess you're right. I guess the plan then is if they run out of live, if they run out of, if they run out of classics to make live action, they basically right, they start making sequels like Lion King. No, yeah, it'll start, it'll for sure be sequels. And then they'll move on to whatever you know. They'll buy some other IP eventually, or they'll just do you know more star like they, this. You don't need to worry about Disney as far as I'm trying to find ways to to make money that aren't going to involve Pixar for literally no reason because <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me as far as what you do with that. <laughs> Anyway, this is a good tangent. <laughs> when should people see Cruella, guys? It's available currently in theaters and on Disney Plus. Uh, should people be seeing it in theaters? Should they pay in three dollars for it? What's going on, Peter? I mean, I, th- I think if you have a family, I, I mean, I, I absolutely understand thinking, hey, it'd be great to take the kids to the theater. So on that level, I get saying go to the theater. But I also understand being like, yeah, but thirty dollars. Like if you got like two or three kids, why don't yeah just pay the pay the twenty nine ninety five. I saw it in theaters like in a matinee, and I was you know I was happy, but I'm just one person, so I keep trying to think of the family aspect. So I'm I'm hold on hold on hold on breaking news, listeners. Peter is only one person. <laughs> well, I that I, is like, I don't crazy have, talk. I meant I I meant I don't have kids or anything. So. I understand. Um, I think if you're <laughs> look, I think if you're if you're a single person who's a fan of Disney, uh, yeah, yeah, go, go, you know, go check it out. It's also a fun time to be back in the movie, be back in a movie theater. But if you're a family, I am kind of like, yeah, just pay the twenty nine dollars, you know, and do it, do it that way. Mm. Yeah, on our old scale, I'd say that this is uh, this is probably a dollar theater because I think there's a lot of great production design mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, that would merit you saying uh, going to the theater and saying like yeah it's wonderful to see this on the on the big screen um and our home scale this isn't really like a 30 dollar movie this is probably like a, a 15 dollar movie so you can wait for it to come down yeah i would oh, agree wait. yeah i would agree with you as far as it's a dollar theater i think that's the appropriate kind of rating as far as our scale goes and i would say outside of that this is a you wait for it to premiere in the few months time it does on disney plus right. <laughs> like, I mean, plus, yeah. right. i think it's end of august where you don't have so. yeah where you, don't you have, where you don't have to pay a premium price at all you just watch it on the handy service that's not a sponsor um 
Well, we're never gonna get that Disney money. We just made fun of we just made fun of Disney. Come well, on. Abe, as you know, I'm a critic, so obviously I got my Disney check at the. Oh, that's I, right. Yeah, we right, get yeah. we got we got advances <laughs> you're, you're now at the, the beginning of the year. Gave Captain America Winter Soldier 100. percent Yeah, got it. Yeah, that it needed the help from critics. That's how it worked. <laughs> um, otherwise, it just would have been. Yeah, it would have bombed. Uh, nothing. Yeah, doom, doom, doom. Um, but no, it just doesn't fit with anything. Yeah. But I agree with you as far as the production design goes. Like, there's enough lavishness going on there right. where if you were able to see it on a big screen at a matinee or a dollar theater, certainly worthwhile, I would say. It, because, again, I do think this, you know, it's right behind Jungle Book for me as far as, like, the best of these kinds of things go. Sure. And it's not like there's a ton of them that are, you know, all the way good. So, like, I was I was more pleased uh, than I expected to be as far as Corella giving me something to, to work with on this. Right. Okay. So let's move on now. Let's get to our next film review for A Quiet Place. why he came all the way up here. There's nothing left. There are people out there. People worth saving. Most people had finally given up hope. That should have been some of the trailer for A Quiet Place Part 2. 2018's A Quiet Place was exactly what a studio would want. A original, high-concept film featuring notable stars that went on to receive plenty of critical praise, audience love, and a strong enough box office total to push forward another entry, retaining the same creative forces that led to the first film. After a year-long delay, we now have the sequel, which picks up seconds after the first film ended. Well, that's not entirely accurate. Sensing that his big nose will be missed, writer director John Krasinski first allows for a prologue set moments before the monsters arrive to reacquaint us with the Abbott family. Once we get back to the present timeline, we see the Abbots moving on to find new shelter and supplies and ideally pass on the knowledge they've discovered as far as how to destroy these hearing-sensitive monsters. Abe, you and I <laughs> were not the biggest on A Quiet Place compared to the population at large. Yeah, That's... I... I, I... Mm -hmm. so strange like we literally are like the two percent that were like eh, not really for me well that's not to say i dislike the film i thought it was fine but i know you may have been its biggest critic as far as pointing <laughs> out things that just didn't quite add up to you so now we yeah. have a second one where are you with do, do, do you think there were problems solved or do you think it got worse so that's an interesting question to start with and i think the problem solved in this one more so than in the first one the first one has to establish the mood, the atmosphere, the world that we're going to be in. And to that degree, I think uh, my nitpicks and I think my plot holes, um, my plot flaws uh, pointing out were were valid, are still valid. Um, I mean, they're still valid to some degree in this one where you see a repeat of, yes, these people, these aliens have a hard time hearing things that are related to running water. So you probably should have just moved your family to the river. Uh, but with all that being said, what I like about this movie is that it it smartly took a direction that some other sequels may not take. Um, and it, it, that is to, to break up the characters and to let them have their own stories. And so it kind of um, Empire Strikes Backs it, so to speak. And what I like about that is that it allows you to not repeat the entire first movie all over again. Right. So you have to – yes, there are new character introductions in the form of Killian Murphy. And we, we spoke about Jaiman Hansu. Um, but you do have character arc and growth 
from these kids, played by um, Noah Jupe and also Melissa Millicent Millicent Simmons. Simmons. And that's great. It's great to see them kind of carry on their own. At one point, I thought it was just going to be a, a Millicent Simmons and Killian Murphy movie, and I thought that was going to be amazing because that gave me a lot of vibes of Last of Us, right? Um, it doesn't really necessarily run out that way, but at the same time, it makes sense because there are other people that have to be involved since you see them on the poster and their names are on the cast list. So with all that being said, I do like the second – or the, I do like that this is a continuation right from the from the the jump of it. Do I think that it necessarily works out all in terms of what they're trying to accomplish as as the goal of the movie? Some plot holes and some questions there. However, I did appreciate that it's a movie that took me on a journey and a journey in which I could see different parts of humanity, but also different parts of, I guess, how these characters would uh, would look to survive in the situation. So that was a good, that, I thought that that was like a smartly well done and well thought out writing aspect of it. So like John Krasinski is an interesting director because I don't know if he's directed anything beyond these two. He did a, like a indie comedy drama. like Oh first, yeah. Away yeah. we go or something like that. No, no, that was Sam Mendes. He was in that oh. movie. No, he did a, it was called, what is it called? The, um, the Hollers. The Hollers. The Hollers. Okay. Yeah. Was that with the character actress Margo Martindale? Actually, yes, it was. Yeah. Okay. I thought you, um, for for a yeah. second, I thought you guessed that. No, <laughs> but, I, um, I I vaguely remember the trailer. It's yeah. him, um, Richard Jenkins, Anna Kendrick, Charlie Day, Charlotte Copley, and Krasinski. That's a strong cast. <laughs> yeah, but uh, didn't move the needle okay. very much. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. But with all that being said, though, I I think what is um very fascinating about it is that. He's able to John Krasinski is able to give me the mood without oversaturating it in a way that feels um, contrived, like a, a horror movie trope, so to speak, you know, and that's fun. That makes it interesting. That makes me invested in the story as well as look out for jump scares. And it's not super heavy on all jump scares all the time. And it's also not super heavy on like, you know, complex family dramas all the time. So that made it. A good ride, and it's also a fairly short movie. It's like an hour and forty some odd minutes. Less, um, less. It's, it's less than that. It's ninety seven with credits. Yeah, so it it does move like it's well edited in that regard. Then, so overall, I thought it was a better accomplishment than the second one. Or I'm sorry, than the first one, um, just in that it smartly took a different direction while keeping it in the world. Peter, I know we've all devoured your YouTube review of this film, but what did you have to say on this podcast about <laughs> a Quiet Place Part Two? You know, I, I pretty much agree with every, everything that Abe's saying. Um, you know, with Abe bringing up, like, horror sequels and stuff, it's like, it is kind of one of those movies where they're sort of having their cake and eating it too and mostly pulling it off, which is that by doing the Killian Murphy, who's who's like, Killian Murphy and Demon Hansu are the new, like, characters, basically, in the movie, and... You're right. Like there is a Last of Us vibe with Killian Murphy and uh, is it Mill- Millicent? Millicent Mill- Simmons. M- Millicent Simmons, who's who's my favorite part of the series so far, and like that definitely puts it in like a oh we're kind of with sort of with a new character vibe because I was thinking how like I grew up with like slasher movies as like the horror sequels and what they usually do is you know. The monster's the same, you know, Jason, Freddy, or whatever. But you basically have new teenagers to kill. And in this, because I think the focus is still ultimately about 
the Abbots, you can't really do that. It's like we can't really just reset and have new characters where you they could. make a noise. Just, you know. I mean, you could, <laughs> like, but like, so I feel like this movie is trying to balance like, well, we're still focused on the family, but we we want to give you something kind of new and stuff. And I think overall they do. And And I will say, because the movie is so short, it really seems like what Krasinski and I, is he the sole writer or is it? Cause I know there's, he was the, he was, he, the first film was written by Beck and Woods, uh, Scott Beck and something Woods. I don't know the other first name, but they wrote the, they thought they wrote the screenplay. Krasinski was hired on to direct and he gave it a, he, he collaborated with them, but he also gave it a, you know, a, a new draft. Um, and then this film is just Krasinski writing it. Correct. Correct. Right. And I feel like, Krasinski smartly it is essentially like look we know what these monsters are you mostly know these people with the exception of a few new characters so it's really just what are some cool good set pieces where we can play we know with good sound design and good shot composition where we can basically set up our little you know our death our death traps or whatever for and how our characters going to get out of it and on that way yeah I think the movie is pretty successful um, my biggest problem is that it's weird. I definitely like it being short. I I don't like it. I don't want it to be bloated. To, to be, to, we keep saying this. To be fair, the first film is 90 minutes. So this movie is oh, like, right, it's, right, it's right, slightly right. longer guess, than the first film. <laughs> no, no, you're right. I was thinking of um, I was thinking of Cruella, where I was like, you know, yeah. something where you and I are like, or, or the three of us are like, why are we doing these scenes? What's the point of this? Like, this movie doesn't have that. It's like, no, everything pretty much has a purpose. Mm-hmm. I just thought... You got uh, Abe was saying how it is, you know, um, like an Empire Strikes Back. You, you know, you're 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 splitting your characters up, which is kind of what you do in a mil- middle trilogy, middle of a trilogy. If this ends up being a trilogy, but like, I kind of like no spoilers, but I I kind of felt like I couldn't believe that was the end. I, Aaron, I think you said no, but when the credits went up, I was like, wait, that's the end. It's not a bad, like what happens isn't bad. I was just surprised that was it. Like, sure. what did you guys think of the credits? To to get into my thoughts on the film, and I'll start yeah. there, I guess. I mean, as far as as far as what this film accomplishes, and like how it's how it's designed for where it leads in its conclusion. Like, given the fact that yes, there's gonna be a part three because Paramount likes money and they have something surefire here. Yes, that that's <laughs> you know, yeah, I can't argue with the fact that there's more to come, but it's not a cliffhanger. I mean, it's just the end. And is it abrupt? I don't know. The first one is similar. It's similar to the first film's ending as far as we're at a to me and not because I'm trying not to spoil it to me as far as the ending of this film goes, it arrives at a point where anything after that is stuff you can fill in the blanks yourself. I don't think there's a necessity to seeing more of that beyond just satisfaction of watching certain characters meet up with other characters again. Uh, but as far as like the plot goes, because this is a very plot-driven film, it it is it is narratively accomplished what it needs to within the time that it's given itself, I, and that's why I don't really have a problem with where it leaves off at because anything else is extraneous. And as you guys have already pointed out, this is a very well-edited film as far as keeping the runtime down because it doesn't have anything that it doesn't need in it. So <laughs> while it, there's a, maybe maybe a bit more emotional beats you could get out of you know seeing a few more minutes of this film. The film itself is designed to not require those things. Right. I, I think the the goals it wants to accomplish with the characters we're watching are accomplished, and the kind of what story it needed to tell here it tells by the end of this film. Does that right. make sense? Mm-hmm. I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I 
I think I yeah I can agree with what you're saying. Um, I think there I I do think the what Krasinski's doing here because I do think this movie's effective. I sure. feel it's about the same as the first to me. I like this movie's I like aspects of this movie more than the first. I like aspects of the first movie more than this one. But yeah. overall, what I like is that even if I'm not over the moon about these, like some people are. I, you know, if they, you know, and I know Jeff Nichols, who I'm a big fan of, he's attached to either a spinoff or a part three of A Quiet Place. Jeff Nichols? I know, right? What? Uh, wow. Uh, I'm I, I'm just happy to be see more of this world, given how consistent it is as far as presenting me this thing and the fact mm-hmm. that I enjoy this thing. Yeah, give me more of that. Like, it's working for me on a, I enjoyed watching this in the theaters level. Right. Um, I, I may not be over the moon about it, but as far as, like, this ex- this visceral experience... Like, because most of my issues come after the fact. Like in the moment, yes, there are some issues here or there, but like that's it, exactly how I feel. In the moment, it's like, yeah, it it works as an effective thrill ride. I think that's what he's going for. I do think it loses something by not seeming to be about more than just the thrill of facts here, but that's we'll get to that. Uh, yeah. As far as the rest of this film goes, for one thing, I think the opening of this movie is spectacular. Like my favorite aspect of any of these two movies is the opening minutes of this movie because I think it is a phenomenal short film basically as far as this prologue that goes from family watching a baseball game to all hell breaks loose and what the fuck do we do now? Like I think it's absolutely phenomenal as how is that that tension is crafted, how much we're able to get out of the characters from the you know just the moments we see of them before letting these monsters get unleashed. The other thing, a big sore spot for me in the first film was I didn't think the monster looked very good. I thought it once again came out of that like Cloverfield school of weird design, but nothing since Cloverfield has been as effective. And sure. the CG was frankly not great. It felt like a movie that cost what it cost. This movie has triple the budget and they've already designed the monsters at this point. So they just needed to improve upon that. And they did because we got a lot of monsters in this movie and they all look great. I think they look yeah. fantastic in this film. Oh, no, uh, I agree. <laughs> the monsters look, the monsters totally look great. And it's funny because I see that A Quiet Place is like eight bucks on iTunes uh-huh. and I'm kind of tempted because I only saw it once and I'm like kind of tempted to buy it. But I do remember being like, yeah, the monsters were OK. And yeah, in this. Yeah, they look really good. Like, yeah, they do. they, <laughs> like they have great. a lot of weight. You do them. Yeah, yeah they, 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 yeah, they feel like they belong yeah. in the world, not just a insert yeah. this later and we'll respond to it. That's right. not to say that I don't think they're terrible in the first film, but I do think as opposed to Jaws, where the build up to them where the build up to Jaws is like it's already effective, then you see the damn shark and it's like, I know this thing's fake, but damn I'm terrified. <laughs> the monster in a quiet place is like it's been really effective up to that point as far as the little jumps and whatnot, and then when you see the whole thing and you look at its ears and what it's like, Well, I get they I mean, they spent time yeah. on it, I guess. They, but it's they just did a good not... job with the animation and in, in in the credits they definitely had a lot of animators. Yeah. For for this film, yes. I, I was, I was, film, I was yeah. saying the, for the first film. Oh, for the first one. By the Sorry. time you get to like that big master shot of the whole thing and you look around yeah. its body to see how it works and it's like eh, that's an idea. It just it just wasn't that impressive to me. Sure. But, but compared to yes, but this film def, you know, there's a they do they feel like they have weight. They feel like they, you know, because we're seeing a lot of them, I'm glad that there was time spent to make sure they feel like a real threat and not just CG thing that attacks you every now and then. Completely. And it's kind of like also, I don't know if you guys saw this in the in the opening of it, or I guess the set after the opening of it, mm-hmm. um, when the daughter has to go back down to go get some stuff. Yeah. She has to cross by a claw. And I was like, that's a really good looking claw. Like, yeah. I wonder if they actually made that. Oh, yeah, that's thing. practical. Like, you yeah. Can tell yeah, that, that yeah. looked practical. Yeah. 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 And I was like, that right. looks really, really good. And so that added to the terror of, oh, yeah, these things are terrifying. You know, like, I don't know what they are. They look like they're all uh, armored and what have you. But, you know, to Aaron's point, 
yeah, the first one was like much more Cloverfieldy, where it's like I don't really know what it is, and also I can't really get a good look. But I guess it's terrifying. So to to get more in my thoughts on the film as a whole, I do yes, I do think it's effective in what it's going for, and it's yes, it's very Last of Us Part Two specifically inspired. It feels like, um, mm. but uh, I no, I I liked I liked the individual journeys they were telling because I like how they had i i really like how krasinski was able to match them up at certain points there's like three key sequences of this film where things are happening both with simmons and murphy's characters as well as blunt and jupe's characters at the same time or at least they're edited to be at the same time regardless of how time works and i really liked that cross-cutting i think that's a very difficult thing to pull off but there's like there's one sequence in particular where characters are are on a dock um and I'll just leave it there while there's something else happening back where Blunt and, and Noah Jupe, Noah Jupe's character are. And the, the way you tie both of those things in together, I thought was really expertly handled. I was really, I was on the edge of my seat. I was really into watching how this would play out. And I wasn't distracted by the fact that you could call this contrived in a lesser film as far as having these things happen at the same time. But because of how, how this one was edited together, I really liked that moment along with other two, like a couple other moments where they, where he did the same thing. And with that, I, that's largely because I think the performances are very strong in, in this movie. I think they're strong in the first movie and the one acting wasn't my issue, but yeah, I mean, you have Simmons taking pretty much the lead here. Um, and as a deaf actress, I mean, she's doing a great job of conveying a lot, um, to kind of get her struggles out there and come the closest to delivering some kind of theme, which I guess has to be about much like old children growing up and becoming independent and what have you like that. Like that's sure. That's something, that's something to get, it's something to chew on for this. Meanwhile, Killian Murphy, who I generally think is great in all things. Like I think he's a really good actor who just doesn't get, you know, he really doesn't really get leads very much. He generally gets these supporting parts, but I think he's great here also as this kind of haunted man who, kind of has to realize himself as this reluctant protector type. Um, and I just thought it was clever because his first big movie was 28 Days Later, and now he's in a Quiet <laughs> right. Place universe, which is like, that's fun. That's a fun casting choice as far as like, oh, yeah, this is a guy that knows a thing or two about being alone in a terrible place. Um, but and no, he's I, still drinking Pepsi. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's not a giraffe it's a lion um it's um i i i like them together i think that's a that's a strong like pairing as far as how that plays out i do think it manages to subvert some expectations like that doc scene for example that could have went a much different direction that i probably would not have liked at all but instead it makes a very conscious decision about how to deal with certain people that i appreciated um meanwhile the son noah jupe i really like that he's like a scaredy pants like I, I don't know how else to put that but sure. there's a there's a version of this where like the girl is the one that's scared all the time and he is just like the confident boy and i like that they reverse that and that they don't like dial that down like he was scared in the first film he's still scared in the second film and yeah, arguably he's even more scared yeah or, yeah yeah for various reasons and I, I i liked how that played out especially given the arcs of these characters Sure. I, you know, I agree with you. I like that observation about how they kind of gender, they gender uh, flip uh, the brother and sister of what they would be in a horror movie. I like that. Um, However, I, one of the issues I had early on was not a gender thing, which was that some of the stuff the brother does, I was like, I guess I'm supposed to chalk this up to kids are stupid. Like there's yeah, just pretty much like, why is he doing this? Like, come on, man. Yeah, there, like, there definitely are some aggravating moments yeah, where I'm like, like what the heck smarter. Like, um, yeah, but, and that, and that, that pushed me to like, 
you know, that's why, again, I'm like, it's a good movie that's fun in the moment. Is it a right. great movie? Not necessarily. And so, it's yeah, like, I... and yeah, you can certainly chalk it up to, you know, adrenaline or kids do the stupid things sometimes or whatnot. But at the at a certain point, you have to be like, I mean, it's been over a year. I mean, you gotta you gotta have a grasp yeah. on something. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, but I I will say I liked, um, but no, no, I I definitely like that, and I I completely agree with you. Again, without without spoilers, that scene at the dock. I very much was like, wait, this could take a really dumb generic turn, like, uh, and it doesn't. And and yes, the way it, the way it, the way it uh, unfolds and what happens in its kind of clockwork manner, I didn't see coming, and I was like, well, that's pretty cool. Like, I really like that. But yes, I was very that doc scene. I was like, mm, I don't know about this. Are we really gonna go down that road? Um, but they don't like, which I thought was cool. Yeah. Well, two things. First things first is that, um, Aaron, you're right that in the moment I enjoyed it. And then when you take a step back, you're like, what, what was this movie even about? Like, what was it? They didn't really expand necessarily like on the world, um, even though I said that they, there's more for you to see earlier on. But there's um, more for you to see. But yeah, I know there's more for mean. you to see. There's but not, there's no yeah. there's not like a sense of like, oh, cool. Well, this was about this family trying to really stay together for the kids kind of thing or, wh- or whatever else. So it's fun in the moment, and I will say that it's fun with an audience because, yeah, I, I kind of miss the times where theater audience members are, are just yelling expletives because something happens on the screen. It's really fun to, to get back I to agree, that. Yeah. Um, but okay. the other thing is is also what you guys just mentioned there around um, like what I liked about that doc sequence and in this movie in in its entirety is that I don't have that much backstory about anybody else. Like, yeah. that's great. You know, it keeps it clean. It keeps it neat. Killian Murphy, you meet very early on, and that's all you need to know about him. Jaiman Hansu pops in, and you're just like, I don't need to know that he had to struggle for, like, 30, 35 days, whatever the case is. And even for, like, the doc scene, I was like, I've been told that there are humans in this world, and I know that some of them are not good people. I'm glad that it didn't have like some monologue that was like humanity left us and we were left to fend for ourselves. And this is what we became it's like, none of that happens. It just is what it is. And it is over as quickly as it started, but that, with that, a great tension. That whole scene, it really, it like, I can't emphasize like, cause again, I love the opening of this film, but that doc scene is really great because it, there's, yeah, it is. There, cause there's no like, dialogue. Like, great. There's no, like, it's still rel- right. like the fact, you know, this is a quiet place. And so, yes, we're still focused on the character's, either can't speak because of you know the deaf factor and they're using ASL yeah. or because they just generally need to be quiet because they're fucking monsters all over the place. So like, yeah, it, it's I, definitely like my favorite, my second favorite set piece aside from the opening. It, it is great because it's, you're getting a lot of information, but using all shorthand as far as what's going on, what's, what could be happening and why it doesn't happen. And it does all of that without, you know, characters monologuing or giving exposition or talking to one another. It has to do that with silence and, and with the threat of, if you don't have silence, chaos breaks out. So it's like, this is really like, I think, I think I might like this movie more than the first one. Now, like I'm just thinking about this is like, I was like, no, that's good. Like I I, really like, I I like more merit to it. The premise of the first one is really strong. And I do like a lot of scenes. I haven't watched the first one in a while either. That might, you know, I'll watch these, maybe I'll watch that for, cause I, cause Anna wants to see this movie. I haven't seen it with her yet. And I'd like, I'd be happy to see it again with her. Uh, So maybe I'll watch that first one again, just to like (laughs) get a better sense of which one I, get a better sense of which one I really do appreciate more. That doesn't matter though. The matter is, like I said, I just like this world that we're in, even if it's not perfect as far as these movies go. I do like just the, 
you know, what it sets up as far as a visceral experience, I think it really does cash in on them in a number of sequences that rely on, yeah. you know, what we know about this place versus what could go wrong at any minute. Right. So and, and I think, oh yeah, just very quickly, I think it's just yeah. that it, it, it is a stronger development of the movie, of the characters, of the world. And so that's what I appreciate the most about it. Peter. So, yeah. um, to do, just to dive a little, a little deeper, because look, this is a Paramount film and it's, this is very well made and, um, you know, performances and everything. If, you know, if we are, and I think we're all agreement on that, would we take this further in that? I remember, um, a few months ago, um, I think on, um, AV club, they were talking about how, like, you know, the 2010s were very, very, became very big on horror films, especially if they, they were made by a 24 where horror films were not really, like it's a monster movie is not just about a monster. The monster is sexual repression. The monster is anxiety or, sure. you know, whatever. Um, and they were saying as critics, they're like, you know, I wouldn't mind if we got back to the monster, just being a monster because we've seen so many movies that are like, it's coded for something. So when I was watching this, I was like, if you, if I'm just thinking of this as, a smart horror movie that's well-made um, and and I can appreciate the craft and everything. And it's not really trying to make me like, it's not really trying to make me think on some other level. I think that's totally fine, but I'm just wondering because I do sort of have something. Was there anything about this where you're like, you know, I think what Krasinski, I think Krasinski is using the format of this movie to kind of say something about, Blah, I will say I think personally it's pretty thin in that regard. I yeah. will say I think Krasinski doesn't think that. I think he 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 said his the first movie he made for his kids. Like he made it in honor of his kids as far as I want to make a movie that, you know, talks that that speaks to like my thoughts on like basically being a parent and right. how to protect your children. And that's respect. I, I can respect that, but I can't say I walked away from that movie like, and you know, maybe that's because I'm just I'm not a father, so I, I can't reflect on it in True. that same way. Um, the second movie feels even less so. Like right. I said, I do think there's something there as far as the kids having to grow up and become independent. But again, I think it's very thin. But yes, I would agree. But I do think Krasinski thinks that, and that's not to say like he's a terrible person or whatnot for having this opinion. He made the movie; it's certainly personal to him. I do think he's the way it's presented feels like like he wants the audience to take something else away beyond just being a monster movie. I, I think th I, mean, I, th I think it's constructed to feel that way. I'm yeah, not personally registering that, but I do think he I think there's an intention there. Maybe, yeah, maybe not, maybe I, not I, as explicit, maybe not as explicit as what you've been saying about like it follows. I think is one of your examples for like sexual repression. Yeah. But right, like, but right. but maybe not as like overt as some of those 2010s movies. But I do think there's a part of it that exists in that well. I mean, yeah, definitely. I, I would agree with Aaron that it's it's not really something that I I I would have it, it if it doesn't it's not that it has to hit us over the head with things but I didn't get that feeling you know I actually loved what you said Peter about can we just make monster movies for the sake of making monster movies mm -hmm. um, because you know like this is not Carpenter's the thing where it's like maybe the monster is ourselves kind of thing you know what I mean mm -hmm. um, and that's a really clever approach but I don't think that this one has any sort of ulterior 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 meaning to the monsters and if it does fantastic i'd love to read those essays or even if i watch this movie again i'll ponder on it but you know it doesn't strike me as though 
I need to make this movie and say like these are the ills of man coming to manifest themselves. <laughs> yeah, the yeah the monster doesn't feel like a metaphor. Like it, it you know ab in an abstract way it's just like life coming at you. But even then that's again very thin. I think right. in that regard. I mean I. I think that, I mean, you know, my favorite, and I think you guys are probably in agreement with me. I mean, my favorite era of kind of like horror movies is like 70s, 80s. And I mean, I, I'm pretty sure like, I think Toby, Toby Hooper was on record of saying that like so much has been said about his original Texas Chainsaw Massacre as it being about, you know, it's about Vietnam, yeah. it's yeah. about Nixon, you know, what, you know, was it about? And he was always like, no, we were just making this movie. I think what's great about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is I think he's probably telling the truth, but I think because of when the Texas Chainsaw Massacre was made, it couldn't help but be informed by its era, exactly. which is, I think Aaron would agree, that's why the remake of the Texas Chainsaw, while perfectly serviceable as a fun B movie, is kind of empty because it's yeah. like, ah, there's really really nothing here. Like, right. yeah. But I, I agree. I think this movie – I mean, it's definitely better than the Texas Chainsaw like re a remake. But I, yes, <laughs> I do not think that. I don't think he's consciously saying this is my movie about cancel culture or something like that. Like, I don't. Sure. I, that's, I don't. That's think, for part yeah. three. <laughs> right, that's for part three. Like, uh, like there, who knows? You when know. Jeff Nichols gets in on this bad boy, let me right. tell you, Dude, he's got, I'm so he's, excited that Jeff Nichols is going to be doing something. The woke with police this, are coming in project. for the monsters next time around, guys. Right. <laughs> Having, Having said that, um, I also think that, you know, one of the best aspects that, again, is a tricky balance is it is hard that, you know, uh, and I, I think Aaron, Aaron, I think your favorite paranormal is part three. Is that correct? The, yeah, the, 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 cor the correct Both one. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the correct and <laughs> I do. I do like that one. But I, I, I do maintain that I think it is it is very dangerous when you do horror sequels to try to explain too much. And this movie doesn't do that. I I don't really think we know any more about these monsters. No, we like, know that and, they came from yeah. the sky. That's it. Oh, wait, right. <laughs> yes. That is oh, it. And yes. they're and they're ultra, 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 ultra aggressive. <laughs> yeah, they. Right. I don't know what their plan is. I don't know if there's a you know like a leader, like yeah. a smart a smart leader monster or something that's controlling them. We don't know any. And I like that. I, you know that might be what puts it over the top for me, Abe. The fact that there's beyond like a you know reminding us that this exists there's no scene where there's a giant whiteboard that says weakness question mark right well, <laughs> well she goes back to it at the beginning no no yeah like, like, besides aside from myself. that callback that's yeah, really yeah i know i just had a laugh it's like how many are in the area three there's not there's not like another one it's not like when they get to like jaimon's place and he's like well we've been staying here but we've been, I know, mapping, I've, we've been, been tracking this whole thing we've been yeah. tracking their movements and we can find that this and this and this and we found the there's like, also like 62 of them drowned off the shore yeah like it's you know it, it's it's very it's very very um very restrained in kind of yeah. giving us more of the world than we need as far and, like, and you know we're all we, we watch a lot of movies all three of us are true here and so you know i think we're all in agreement with it it's it's a great this is a great example of show don't tell yeah um, oh yeah and it's like hey man if you're an upcoming movie director and you want to make a movie where like you know it it makes sense in its own world and you don't have to write as much like this movie probably has like how many pages of dialogue for for a 90 minute movie. You know right. what I mean? Like if you were to condense, it, it's probably like, you know, 30 pages of dialogue for a 90 minute movie. Yeah. And so you don't have to like explain everything because you can show it and it would be just as effective, you know, um, if not more. Because to Aaron's point, the example of like no Jupe's character, you could keep on reminding us that like he's scared all the time or whatever else like. No, or you could just have his him 
say things like, I'm going to tell mom that you're going to go somewhere because I don't want us to break up because therefore it's going to make me feel even worse kind of thing. I mean, these are amazing things that are written just via hand motion, like through ASL or through um, uh, facial expressions, which also plays a huge part. John Krasinski is in this movie just enough to get a, a, a SAG check, but um, <laughs> the thing about it is like he has a great like facial he does. acting part in the beginning, and there was like a part where I was like, this is like when he tells some guy to shut up by covering his mouth and then shaking his head no, I was like, this is great. Yeah, that it was really, really like I cannot yeah. emphasize how much I like the the, the opening of this film. I think uh, I would go as far as to say it might be John Krasinski's best acting I've seen in this movie wow. in the beginning because yeah. I think there is well, there is that moment when he gets into the shop with his daughter and they're trying to hide from these aliens. Yeah, assuming they're aliens, they just came from the sky. I don't know, maybe they jumped up really high and then they came back down. Uh, but um, <laughs> but, um, but leaving tall a, buildings in a single bound. Exactly, but there's a there is a moment where when he's he's like getting into the shop and he's backing up, you can see in his face. It's it's so many emotions. It's I have no idea what's going on. I need yeah. to protect myself. I need to stay quiet. I need to protect yeah. my daughter. I need to stop these people. Like there's everything's happening, and you can see it both in his facial expression, like you said, and his hand just subtly shaking. You can see yeah. actual fear in a way that doesn't feel overacted. It just feels exactly what you would want for this kind of scene. Like it's just really solid stuff. Yeah, and I know I've made really fun good. of Krasinski a lot because of his well, big nose shaking in the camera, but I mean, he shakes I, it really well in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when, when he's on the screen, that's the only thing i can see now because you brought it up so many times <laughs> yes so when he's watching the baseball game i'm like there's john and his big schnoz oh I, yeah but, i de- the th- first thing i said when the movie started is like there it is <laughs> but i mean the, it, extending beyond john krasinski we, we've all talked about like this doc sequence mm-hmm. killian murphy has to do a lot yeah in like the 30 seconds that's not it's more than 30 seconds but in the time that something happens to him uh-huh. physically and that is amazing because I love that they don't get away. He tries a few times to to do some sort of movement, mm-hmm. and he realizes the predicament that he's in, so he stops. And that's great. You it know, is. So. It re- he's really effective here. Like, and that, that's not a tricky task where you have you know a new main character to introduce in this film, and you have to like be able to relate to him and want to root for him in addition to the other characters we already like. Like that's. Not the easiest thing to pull off, especially when you have fucking Jim from The Office in the first movie, and you're like, now we got Killian Murphy. Like, Big Shaz John to Jim from The Office. What's going on? Is this like a, a roast? No, but no, no. I mean, as far as that's like an he's as far as audience is concerned, he's an inherently likable guy, and so the fact that he's not here anymore and you have to deal with some newbie, it's like that. That's not the easiest thing to ask an audience to accept, right? Yeah, I, I hear saying? you, and yeah. I, I, I agree. And I I'm think not that making fun like... of Jim from The Office, even, no, though no, I know, I know. even though he's a terrible office worker who wastes a lot of time and does a lot of things that probably would have gotten him fired. I'm not it making fun of Jim from The Office. He didn't sell anything. <laughs> I mean, he got promoted a lot, but it seems like Dwight was doing a lot of the heavy lifting. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know much about this, guys. I, I prefer Cam, the UK. Cam's a better salesperson than Jim. I prefer the UK <laughs> office. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but I, mean... oh, but I, I think the other thing about this movie, too, that I dug is that Again, it we've we've talked about the editing, but it just goes. It just keeps going. Oh yeah. The there's there's hardly and I think that's really why it's effective when Aaron had brought up that there's a coalescing coalescing scene uh sequence in the entire movie. Mm-hmm. I think that's really why it helps out is because, you know, it's not as though these people are on different pages in their own story arc. They all have to arrive at a certain point and then that makes it all the more intense and 
you know, frustrating at some points because P- Peter, you rightly pointed out that like Noah's like doing some things that a dumb teenage boy would do. And that actually leads to like really serious critical situations that I didn't like. Um, not not because they made me uncomfortable, but more just like, I, what are you doing, man? Um, so he's yeah, also in but, like constant pain because of the whole bear trap thing. Like that's the other thing I have yeah. to consider also. <laughs> also, this is a practical point. Uh, you're not supposed to use any alcohol that's less than 70% on on open wounds. You're just gonna make it worse. So I mean, just when, keep that. I mean, when there's no no, there's nothing else around. <laughs> I, I would say don't do it. Just use water. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, yes, I, I think that there's really good um, show don't tell in this movie, and that that's a great benefit. But you know, like ultimately, I I just don't. I'm not taking. I'm not. I'm not walking away from this movie thinking like it's one of the best movies of the year. And that's not a bad thing. It's just more that you know we've all talked about it too. What else? Where? What do? What do you want me to get from this movie? Like, what, not not that they have to mean anything to Peter's point, but just more of you know it's a great continuation of the first movie that does something different. So I'm not bored, but it's not as though I'm like, oh wow, that was. I'm gonna think about this for the, the next few days. Well, let's let's take this to the when people should see that because I think that applies to what I'm gonna say about that. Where like I gave this and Corolla the same grade, but I would say mm-hmm. this is a theater movie because this is a movie you'd want to see in a theater. This is a movie that yeah. when it comes out, the the thrill that you get from this movie is sitting in a theater and being quiet and watching this thing play out because it's a ride and it's a really effective one. I might not love the movie, but I do think it's an effective film to watch in a big screen. So I would say theater as far as when people should see this movie. Yeah, you and I are on the same page. I would say theater as well because of the aspects of the sound design as well as oh, yeah. um, the the feeling that you're going to get with audience members. And then if this is like if this is POVOD at home, you should pay POVOD for it. You know, I, I, I totally agree. I, I think it would be like I, I I think I basically I just I actually just purchased Quiet Place. So I actually think I'm going <laughs> to watch that tonight. And I agree, though. Yeah, I find I think both those movies were pretty fun in theaters. And, and when I saw it, when I saw the screen of Quiet Place 2, obviously it wasn't the same as like a packed house at, you know, at the Arclight or whatever. But it's yeah, it's still R.I.P. Arclight. Yeah, R.I.P. Arclight. <laughs> there, but I will say there is a moment. Uh, early on in the movie where something happens and the audience applauded, And that was the first time I heard an audience being like, yeah, <laughs> in a long time. And I was like, oh, that's like, yeah. like that's a nice communal feeling, you know? So yeah, completely. Uh-huh. Yeah, 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 definitely. I would say theaters. I, I, if I could just add one other example, I think the other thing that I like about this movie is that it doesn't do anything necessarily stupid. Um, like the characters there, there's one scene where there was an audible, oh shit from the, some audience member, which I found very fun. Um, and it's kind of like when uh, Millicent is like trying to gingerly step over a desk and you see an object in the way. And I'm glad that they didn't take an easy route of like, let's just make her dumb. It's like, she's not dumb. Mm-hmm. She thinks about where her feet are going. And right. that's what makes it even better of a, of a show. Don't tell. Also. The, um, mm-hmm. Oh God, Aaron. I was just going to say the Millicent Simmons also like, Based off the things happening, she is Millicent Simmons' bringer of death because everywhere she goes, people die. <laughs> <laughs> um, one one more thing I wanted to say um, that I, I was just thinking of when we were talking about how effective this is. Um, I love huge. I'm sure you guys. I know Aaron is. I'm assuming Abe is too. I love Aliens. You know, a, you know when you went for Alien, 
from alien to aliens you went from like a horror movie to some horror but also kind of a big action movie Mm -hmm. and one of the significant changes is that in alien it's just one monster and it's like oh my god that xenomorph is so powerful and indestructible in the second one it's like well now it's like an army of them which means you kind of have to find a way to kill them so you know it's people with guns and stuff Mm -hmm. which somewhat lessens how scary they are in this that actually doesn't really happen like not only to what we said earlier about the effects work is even better and they really feel real but there's a scene in here where a character does something that you would think like in a video game would be okay if the monster goes here and then this happens haha i've killed the monster and it does not work and like (laughs) and it it, I liked how the sequel somehow manages to not lessen how powerful and scary just one of these things is. I agree so I completely. That yeah, that's a good point. I, I do mm-hmm. agree with that because, I, you know, it's it's not it's hard not to see certain similarities with other horror sequels. Aliens is a good example of that. But at the same time, yes, the it's not just there's more of them and we're just taking out swarms of them it's no they're still really powerful individually <laughs> we just have to deal with a, a, a slightly bigger scale this time around correct so yeah all right i think we've talked plenty about a quiet place part two a movie that we certainly admire as far as its uh, thrilling capabilities yeah um so with that let's uh, let's move on now <laughs> we've got some stuff to do still uh, but we'll get through it let's move on to our hey, what uh, what time is it aaron i think it might be your time for a game between peter and i That was a little known fact. Paul Walter Hauser is actually the uh, the person that was going to use that as his ringtone in the movie, but obviously it was in 1977. It's going to be real fun when I eventually get Paul Walter Hauser on this podcast and we talk about just that. But uh, <laughs> I think I think he'd be down. We should text him. Hey, Anna and I met him. We know we know Paul. Oh, oh there you go. <laughs> but uh, I have a game for you guys this week. It is called yeah. Emma Emma Emily. Oh. Uh, these are going to be taglines for films that star either Emma Stone, Emma Thompson, or Emily Blunt. Okay. So I'm going to read a tagline for a film, and you have to guess what the film is. Obviously, that would lead you to who these in the film as well. Uh, if, if you think you know the answer, say your name, and then the answer. I like this. Okay, let's do this. Good idea. Okay, here's first one. Live, die, repeat. Abe. Peter. Abe. Emily Blunt. In. In. Live, live, die, repeat. What's I mean, the name of the movie? Uh, Edge of Tomorrow. That is correct. Oh, wait, isn't is, Live Ever Peace not acceptable? It's not the name of the movie. Okay. <laughs> I guess it on DVD it came out like that, right, too? Well, no, it just says it in big letters. But oh, it's still, the okay. movie's st- they never changed the title of the movie. It's just we kind of accept it as like, that's kind of the title because right. it's, it's better. <laughs> but I wanted to trip you up, and I almost did. All right. Yeah. Next one here. Lose your heart and come to your senses. Hmm. Oh, I don't. Abe. Abe. Emma Thompson. In. That big ensemble movie. That doesn't narrow it down. <laughs> with, with Christmas and loving your feelings. Um. So you don't have it. <laughs> no. Peter. Oh, Peter. Yeah. Oh, then Love Actually. Incorrect. The movie is Sense and Sensibility. <laughs> oh, damn it, Sense. Yes. Do I still get the point? No. You didn't get no. it right. <laughs> you, you weren't thinking of the right movie. <laughs> no point awarded. It's not just guessing. It's getting the movie. The actor is like, okay, okay you right. narrowed it down, but Nick is going to get the movie. <laughs> Here's the next one. 
The border is just another line to cross. Abe. Abe? Emily Blunt, Sicario. Correct. Boom! Man, I'm doing terrible. Here's the next one. Change begins with a whisper. Change begins with a whisper. This one is... uh, the choices are Emily Blunt, Emily, Emma Stone, or Emma Thompson. Thompson. Yes. Change begins with a whisper. I will say this film was a Best Picture nominee. Whoa. And it won one Oscar. Um, Abe. Yep. Emma Thompson in Junior. Incorrect. Okay. I don't have Junior on here, but because the tagline wasn't good enough, but I would have if it was better. (laughs) Peter, any idea? Uh, a whisper? Wait, so wait, wait. Change begins with a whisper. So it's Emily Blunt, Emma Stone, or Emma Thompson. Thompson. I I think it's Emily. I think Peter. I think it's Emily Blunt, but I can't think of what this whisper thing would be. So I'm sorry. I, I yeah, I don't know. The answer is the help with Emma Stone. Oh. Oh. All right. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Here's the next one. Where her book ended, their story began. Oh, Abe. Sure. Abe. Damn it. Emily Blunt. Mary Poppins Returns? Incorrect. Peter? Oh. Peter for the steal. Oh, oh wait a minute. Shoot. Where her book, movie. Where her book just... ended, their story began. Oh, oh, oh. Is it... Um. Wait, no, she's not in it. Because, uh, what is it? Is it Saving Mr. Banks? That's the correct answer. You got it. Oh. Because oh, right, I was like, is that the thing? All right, good. I wasn't sure about the Peter was so close. Or Abe, you were so close because you had Mary Poppins correct. <laughs> Just right. the wrong like, Mary Poppins <laughs> movement. <laughs> it was the wrong, <laughs> wrong actor. <laughs> Here's the next one. All right. Let's not and say we did. Oof. Uh, let's not and say we did. Abe? Abe. Uh, Emma Stone. Okay. Easy A. It is Easy A. Oh, I was just like, I was like, I don't think it's super bad, but yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm super bad too. Well, think of the premise. We'll think of the premise of Easy A. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Here's the next one. Out of the garden, into the great unknown. Okay, that's very easy, Abe. Abe. Well, you might trick me up here, but I'm just going to go for the straight answer. It would be Emily Blunt in Nomeo and Juliet. Incorrect. Damn it! <laughs> Peter for the steal. Out of the garden, into the great unknown. Is it Peter Rabbit? Incorrect. It is oh. It is Sherlock Gnomes, the sequel to the Nomeo sequel. and Juliet. Uh, like I was so hoping you would say Nomeo and Juliet just so I, I could tell like, you you were wrong. I was like, I don't think Aaron would do that to me. That's something I would do. Here's the next one. The ultimate romantic comedy. Abe. Abe. Emma Thompson, Love Actually. It is Love Actually. You got it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here's the next one. Here's to the fools who dream. Abe. Abe. Emma, Emma Stone, La La Land. It is La La Land. Abe, you're on a roll. It's the next one. Your fate has been adjusted. Peter. Peter. Um, it's the Emily Blunt, Matt Damon movie. Ah, shoot. What is 
It's not the adjusters. Your the fate has so been close. adjusted. Shoot, what is it called? I don't. I'm sorry. It's well, not a. Well, let's go see. Ahead, Abe. What, <laughs> Abe, what is, I, I didn't know that she was in this movie, but I guess it's the adjustment bureau. It is the adjustment bureau. bureau that's yes, what it is. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know she was in that movie though. I'm gonna give because I, I never saw it. I'm gonna give Peter a half a point. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Here's the next one. The magic's back. Warts and all. Abe. Abe. Emily Blunt, Mary Poppins Returns. Incorrect. Mm, right. Although the returns is part of the title. You're almost yeah. there. The warts thing threw me off. I was like, I don't think there's any. Because it's basically in... the same movie, except not Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, any What's idea? Wait, wait. So, wait, it's. Wait, you said, but returns is in the title? Yes. Is that what you said? Yes. But it's not Mary Poppins Returns. But, um, I, believe it or not, movies exist that also have the movie the word Returns. In I know. Like, what else the, uh... Wait, can you repeat the tagline? The magic's yeah. back, warts and all. Hmm. Oh wait, shoot! I reviewed this. <laughs> of course hey. you did. Ah, because it's yeah. It's Who the, is it? It's Who is it? Who is she playing? Oh, the face. Uh, what is it? A uh, Mrs. It is a. It's a oh, it's a, I know. Okay. Uh, it's a Mary Poppins type thing. It was yes. It's a uh, uh, Nanny McPhee returns. Nanny McPhee yes! returns is the correct answer. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for the words. You, you missed it the first time, Peter. You didn't get it. Yeah. So I get Peter, the you don't get the points. <laughs> no, yeah, because I, I remember. I was like, oh, I know this. Yeah, <laughs> Nanny McPhee. Yeah. Here's the last one. Sometimes you have to say goodbye before you can say hello. What? Sometimes you have to say goodbye before you can say hello. Was somebody in a Beatles movie that I wasn't aware of? That's what I was just thinking. Like, I mean, soundtracks is a good place to think about when it comes to movies from this director. Oh, no. The Irish director? Nope. Mm. This movie is famous for Emma Stone not playing white. Oh, Peter. Peter? Uh, it's Aloha. Aloha is the correct answer. <laughs> well, what was the tagline? What was the tagline? Sometimes you have to say goodbye before you can say hello. Aloha. I guess that makes sense. Aloha means both. You know, there are parts of that movie that I do like. But... Oh, yeah, there's parts that I do like in that movie. Me too. Yeah. It's, just, it, it's just not a successful movie. Right. All right, well, Peter, Abe, you ran away with that game, so good job on you. Oh, awesome. Well, thanks. Yeah, no, that, it was a good battle, Peter. That said, I did have a bonus question in case there was a tie. Yes, please. Emily Blunt, what, are, what do you think is her highest grossing film at the box office worldwide? Emily Blunt? Yes. Hmm, we both got to guess, right? Yeah, go with it. I just uh, this should be a group effort of working this out because I was intrigued because compared to the other two where they're obvious what their movies would be, this one is a little trickier. So Peter, I have a feeling that it's like a cameo appearance. It's not a cameo appearance. I, these, are, oh. these are these are all she stars in these movies. Oh, okay. I have, so, I have her top five in front of me. I mean, I just know. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow. No, that didn't really make a box. Yeah, office. that's why I'm like, I don't think it's that big. I'm like, what else would be a Emily Blunt's in it? The movie in which she, her, oh. the, her highest grossing movie? Worldwide. Worldwide. I honestly don't know, I mean, but you, I you guess. You just said someone returns like 87 Mary, times. Mary Poppins <laughs> returns, I guess. But yeah, like Mary Poppins returns. And we also yeah. just talked about a sequel to another movie. M- Nanny McPhee? Another movie. Um, okay, so the top five. Yes. Number one is Edge of Tomorrow. Number one? Oh, it is Edge of Tomorrow. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Number two Angel is Mary. Number, it. number two with 367. 
Number two is Mary Poppins Returns with three forty eight million. Okay. Number three is A Quiet Place, guys. <laughs> oh, yeah. Who would have Three hundred thirty-five million. Uh, then it's The Devil Wears Prada and Into the Woods. Into the Woods. It's a very diverse set of films. That's why I always thought it was interesting as far yeah. as the top. Because the other ones are like Spider-Man and Harry Potter, so it's like that's easy. Like, but but this but these yeah. are like, you know, a sci-fi thriller, a Disney movie, a horror film, a fashion drama of comedy, yeah. and a musical. Like that's that's widespread. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how much? Wait, how much did Edge of Tomorrow make? Three sixty-seven. Three thirty-five. Three sixty-seven. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's not problem, bad. It's not bad. The problem is the movie was expensive, so it's like. Yeah, and also incredible. Yeah, no, it was a great movie. Yeah, it's a great movie. <laughs> you well, should go see it. Yeah. All right, that was games. That was games. Thank you for that game, Aaron. Let's move on. I was get some out now. Feedback. 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 This is where I go over some of the various questions answered on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash podcast. I asked a number of questions to the listeners. They gave some answers. And, uh, yeah, that's what we got. So first one here is, what are some great thrillers that rely on silence? Chris Ooh. writes, if we are talking dialogue, then the masterpiece that is under the skin. That's a Peter Paris well, favorite. Uh, my favorites, yeah. Sure. Thrillers relying on silence. Thrillers relying on silence. Um, I would have to go with... Um, the artist because it's the end of uh of of uh, speaking roles in movies. You mean non-speaking roles? In non-speaking roles in movies. And of course, yeah. it's a it's one of the great thrillers of the 2000s. Very horrific. So. Very horrific. <laughs> <says>. like, yeah. <laughs> thrillers relying on silence. Um, that's a good question. I'm trying to think of like a, an actual movie that that's like much that's pretty silent. Aside from like 1940s films or 1930s films, I mean, there's a lot of horror films where you don't want to make any noise or else somebody's gonna come kill you. Oh, oh, that's what you mean by that too? Well, okay. thrillers, yes, <laughs> and silence. I, I think I mean like where the concept is like heavily silent, but yeah, I mean in terms of thrillers that rely on silence, uh, for sure, yeah, you don't want to be like Aaron. You've played the Alien game. You don't want to be like in a spaceship making noise. Yeah, I don't want to do that. Yeah, gotta hide in the closet while the alien like pokes around. My mind goes to Wait Until Dark, the Audrey Hepburn film where she's blind, and there's oh, key sequences that rely on her being silent to uh, thwart mm-hmm. certain things. Peter, do you have any examples? Or are you good? Yeah, I can't think of. I mean, it's funny. Sane, sane under the skin makes me feel like, well, if I want to be arty, I could be like basically Tarkovsky's movies like Solaris and stalker like those are pretty good uses of like these long pauses yeah but those are like thrillers um <laughs> but yeah i don't know that's the mo- under the skin's the most recent one i can kind of think of i can't believe i can't think of more like don't breathe is a pretty good one yeah you're right yeah we got we, we're still, i'm still waiting for that trailer for don't breathe too still this, breathing still breathing Real, uh, real, real opposites going on just, there. Yeah, they're just going for the irony. Uh, well, the next question is, who are some great younger horror movie heroes? Chris Cleland has Coraline, Good and answer. I'm, I'm going to add in Corey Haim in Silver Bullet. <laughs> hey, uh, man. Well, how about, uh, like, uh, how about both the Corys and the Lost Boys? Oh, there you go. Is that That's about vampires, yeah? Yeah. So all the damn vampires. I mean, I I mean, I don't think any of us love this movie, but the kids are all pretty good in the in uh it part one. 
those kids are good. Like I don't. I don't think, disagree. The kids are yeah, good. Yeah, those and, kids are and, good. Yeah, those are good use of like. I also like that we seem to all be on the same page of Quiet Place is okay. It was okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh I didn't even hey, like man. it. I didn't even I like the first it, but still. Analysis here. Yeah. <laughs> can't be can't be lying and saying it was the best. <laughs> uh, uh Paranorman from Paranorman. Yeah, that's very true. Um, what's the other young horror? Oh, um, what's his name? The kid from uh, People Under the Stairs. Oh, uh, yeah, he's in the Sandlot. Yes, that kid. Yeah. Um, and then speaking of like other like animated films, I guess you could throw in Monster House. This kid's in Monster House. Oh sure. So yeah, okay. Next question we have here: What's the scariest movie you've watched in a theater? Oh my gosh. Chris writes The Thing when I was eighteen and Hereditary just for that constant feeling of dread. What is the scariest movie you've seen in a theater? I gotta think about this too. What is the um, theater? Don't be afraid of the dark, because I was just like so exhausted by having to watch it. So I was like, oh, this runtime is how long? No, what's the scariest movie you've seen? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> the scariest movie that I've seen in a theater where I was actively worried about my own yeah. health and safety. Yeah, that. <laughs> That's a tough question. I mean, I would probably have to, because I'm not a huge fan of, like, horror, so I'd have to probably say, like, VHS, although I, I think I might have seen that, like, on, on home video. No, I don't so. think you saw it in a theater. No, I definitely, I would have been too afraid like, to see it I haven't seen any theater. of those in a theater. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> well, you, but you watched VHS, too, in a screening. No, no, I watched it at home. Oh, but, and but remember, you I, told, I had, because right? remember, I told you, I had to pause it, because of how, know, like, crazy yeah, it was. I can't just Green pause a screening. Type shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I... Um, Peter? I need to check up. I need to check the name of this movie because I I think I know what the answer is, but I you know, it's like what's the title of this? Scariest movie I've seen uh, in a theater. What's the scariest one I've seen in a theater? Like I don't know. Like the first Insidious is really strong. Like I I didn't watch that in a theater because <laughs> it's like its sound design is constantly like creeping you out in that film. Yeah. Uh, oh, I got it. Uh-huh. Uh huh. This is this is gonna be like my stalker reference kind of a weird one. Uh, I in the I mean I guess it's like in the 2000s sure. I went I went to the Egyptian and saw this was when uh, Japanese you know J horror was really popular mm-hmm. uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's um, a Pulse oh okay that, the original oh gosh that was the scariest, right. like yeah. being, that was one of the scariest like the movie was scary and then I got home and I was all alone in my apartment in L A and I was pretty uncomfortable and, and <laughs> all of the shadows were making really you think. So, um, I guess I I would have to go back to like the Sixth Sense then. You know, because... you know that's a good answer actually. Sixth Sense was really you know I watched you know we both watched that yeah. when we were presumably like thirteen ninety nine so thirteen fourteen like ninety nine so I was like thirteen yeah. yeah but I remember watching it in the theaters and I didn't know what was gonna happen mm-hmm. but I think the horrific things that he sees also scared me you know because he sees like the kid who shot himself in the head and yeah. Then, also, like, there's also all these other terrible things that that are in the movie before the plot twist, um, because I would I would have said the others. However, some uh some person who was there with her friend <laughs> had already seen it, so she was spoiling it for her friend, be like, "No, you gotta watch this part." And I was like, "Okay, cool. You give me a cue when Nicole Kidman <laughs> can like go crazy or whatever." But um, no, the Sixth Sense would probably be the one where I was like actively cringing in my seat being like i don't want to see what happens no that's a good answer because i remember that was a that, that you know it, it's so well crafted as far as that goes because it's it, there's a lot of unexpected horror not like yeah. jumps but just like you wouldn't necessarily think there's going to be something in like horror movie because it's like a balance between horror and drama right so it's like, right because it, it, it is it, tense in that yeah. way you know like like 
the scene where the the dead wife is screaming at at Cole is not like intensely scary, but the setup to that is scary because he yeah. he doesn't want to go out of his room. He has to go pee. He goes pee. You see the thermostat go down to like zero. Yeah. And then you see somebody walk in front of him and he is breathing all cold. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of good stuff that you know what uh, Paranormal Activity three also was another what because that I had, one was a fun one though. It's it's fun, but it's like it still like gets you with like I just I, I I've said this before like. Every paranormal movie I saw, I had like the best audience for, because I kept yeah. I kept seeing them either at midnight or like the late screening or whatever, like when they came out. And as opposed to other screenings where I'm sure people can be obnoxious, every time I went with generally with Scooter, although Peter, I saw the last one with you, I it was always like the best audience that was in tune with what the movie was trying to do. So like yeah. three though, because three has that damn oscillating fan cam, which we've yeah, always come back fun... to. But it's yeah. it's fun, but it's also like it's still scary. Like it's like well, yeah. you don't, especially seeing it for the first time. It's like what is gonna happen here? Like I was always, you know, it it worked for me. That's well, it. I mean, like even like the payoff to that, I wasn't expecting because I was yeah. like, I didn't notice that things were missing, but now I guess I do. <laughs> uh-huh. So it's like that was a fact. Maybe the biggest jump I've ever had was watching Signs for the first time. And it's when you see the when you see the alien at a distance, like when Joaquin yeah, yeah. Phoenix also jumps. That's yeah, another one where it's that's, that's another really one where good. it's also like fun. Like it's not unlike paranormal in that regard, where it's like a fun right. horror to watch because it's like, God, Shyamalan was really on just all over the place back then, right? He was nailing right. it. But like Signs, yeah, like that was one where it's because it's PG thirteen. It's like it's meant to be an audience like thriller type thing, but it still like has its moments that really get yeah. you, like that and like when the alien grabs the littlest Colkin. If the one seemed like the end. <laughs> you know yeah, what? L I L apostrophe S T. Lilith Colton. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I thought was a really great one of my favorite like uh, jump scares. Uh-huh. I, I gotta say this might be like 1990 or something. The the big um, what is it? The the hedge clippers scene in Exorcist three. Oh, okay. Two two. That two. what is it? Exorcist. Wait, what two. I mean, it's not 90. Like, you I might can't remember, it. like, what... Exorcist that... 2 is the Hedge Clippers scene, though. Yeah, Exorcist know, 3 Exorcist... is, like, the in the hospital and somebody runs after somebody else. No, oh, that's what I'm talking... Oh, wait, no, that's, that's two. Like, no, that's two. Oh, is that part two? That's part okay. two. Well, that's three. It's yeah. two. That That is oh, not boy, a very three. fun scene. I just saw two. Two is the heretic. <laughs> that's that's not... Yeah, three's the one where it was, wasn't really an Exorcist movie, and then they reshot scenes to make it an Exorcist movie. Oh, got it. It's like Halloween 3. Really okay, bad. you're right. It's three. Sorry. Yeah, it, but that, yes, the hospital, that scene. Oh my God, the audience. Yeah, not not my favorite at all. So. Um, but yeah, that scene is crazy. All right. Well, the next <laughs> the next question is, uh, what are some great sequels that change out of uh, the lead character? Uh, Luke Thompson has U.S. Marshals, uh, and Mark Paces has The Godfather Part Two. Um, any sequels where you kind of flip the POV? And follow somebody else for for the remainder of the series or the follow up. Wait, how is Godfather two? Wait, Godfather two. Did well, you go from Michael to uh, Vito, but young Vito? Well, you go from Vito well, to Michael, it's... basically. I, I, I guess I see what he's going for because you, you can make an argument yeah. that Brando's the lead of the first movie and Pacino's the lead of the second movie. But I mean, I I get it. It's a yeah. I, I get what he's trying good. to do, but I mean, <laughs> like U.S. Marshals is pretty specific as far as it's Harrison Ford. Now it's Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. Um, but that, Why, that movie sucks though, so I'll go with Godfather too. <laughs> <laughs> um, hmm, I can't think of an example. Like, what would that? 
Hmm. Hmm. I think there'd be more examples of this. Like, there are. We're just not thinking of them. Um, honestly, of course. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the the one that comes to mind is um, you have um, Pacific Rim Uprising because yeah, that's, that's just a, like that's an example. By the way, it's the same the universe, but you're following uh, a side character's son now. So. Wait, I'm sorry. What did you say? Pacific Rim Uprising. The Pacific Rim. Oh, sequel. okay. Yeah, that would count. Um, yeah. Why can't I think of a movie where well if you think of one feel free to shut it out wait a minute actually i think i have one wait mm, let me make sure i'm right um and actually well you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna look it up but i'm, I'm gonna rely on aaron's knowledge because uh, he's he, he has tons of knowledge on step up just like i do step up two just focus on the character the character that Brianna Evigan is playing, is is she a kid in Step Up 1? No, she's just not in it. <laughs> but there is, wait, I thought there's a little, there is a little, there's a little girl in Step Up 1. Peter, Step Up 2 doesn't take place like 10 years later. <laughs> it, it doesn't, I just assumed it was like a goofy. <laughs> oh, no, you know what it like is? Like Channing Tatum's in both of them for, like, no, for a hot minute in the it. second one. I, uh, I got it and I can, and I can still sort of count this. Uh-huh. It, it's Allison Stoner. Allison Stoner, I yeah. think is meal she's in step at step up one and she's sort of she's one of the leads in step up 3d so that yeah, would count 3d yes there you go but even as you say little kid like it's still like a couple years later like it's not like it's a giant sleep in time no 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 but i mean it's enough that like i know what you're saying but even but even then just your example yeah, yeah. your example of step up alone is already good because yes each each of those films with the exception of like the fifth one because it's like the fast five of the series is it has a different lead character <laughs> Correct. Damn, we should have mentioned that. We should have mentioned the Fast and Furious series. Well, that doesn't. Not really about well, yeah, I guess Tokyo egg. Tokyo Drift does change the. the, the oh, that's true. Tokyo yeah. Drift changed the. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, good point. Yeah. All right. Okay. Next questions. We didn't get any answers for these, unfortunately. I think it's just a busy weekend because of Memorial Day weekend. But um, what are some great movies that put focus entirely on the villain? I mean, like they're the person that you follow, yes. or they can be inner inner. No, like they're they're the focus, like Corella, like they're the villain, like who? Oh, Infinity Infinity War. Yeah, Thanos. I mean, Thanos is, it's basically uh, his arc. It's his arc. In the yeah, movie. I would say that, you know, it's not a great movie, but the only one that comes to mind with this particular definition is Venom. Yeah, uh, no, that's that's an example. It's not yeah. a great movie. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, because, like, well, with Venom and Joker and stuff, like, but are they, they are, those are characters that have traditionally been bad guys, but they're not really bad guys in the movie, though. Yes. You are not bad guy, but well, you are not bad guy. Well, ve- well Joker, <laughs> ven- Joker. Ven- Venom, yes. Joker, no, because he murders Robert De Niro on television. Yeah. Like he's not a good <laughs> yeah, a- he, after murdering other people. Right. Like, yeah, he's, he becomes, yes, that's he's true, not a well. good person. Whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah, no, you're I, right. I guess I would also say like uh, Patrick Bateman. Um, yeah, no, American Psycho is a great example. American Psycho, yeah, thank you. Whereas like he's not. Uh, he's I mean, the person a... you follow, and you have to follow him. Well, so. yeah, he's the lead. It's the same goes for Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer, with Michael Rooker. Like that's another Michael one. Rooker. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's Mary oh, Poppins. That's y'all. a good one. Yeah, yeah. Henry Serial Killer. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? Um, uh, the Star Wars prequels, of course. Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> I, would, yeah, I guess. Would so. would Collateral? Eh, I mean, I guess it's Jamie Fox. Kind of. It's a two-hander, and you're and you're yeah. you're, you're following Jamie Fox's character, like okay, as, as yeah. the arc of the film. But, I mean, no, it's not a bad example as far as, yes, the one of the lead characters is your villain. Yeah, because, I mean, that's why I was asking, like, well, is it, does it have to be, like, the, the main person all the time? Because the other movie that I thought about was No Country for Old Men, where it's like, you know, I'm following, 
I'm following. Um, yeah, what's the character's name? The bull, bull haircut. Uh, Javier, what's his name? Anton Sugar. Anton yes! Sugar. But he's I'm not following the, him, he's but not he's, not, he's not the lead. Yeah, so anyway. That, that's a movie where <laughs> that's a movie where it's really great to, as you grow up, you learn more about it, where it's like, you know, you watch it the first time and like the drive is seemingly the hero, which is Llewellyn Moss, of course. Then you're like, well, Anton Chigurh so intriguing because he's evil and dark. But then as you get older, you're like, well, Tommy Lee Jones is actually the lead character of this movie. <laughs> like he's the one that's <laughs> really laying down the story. He, here. He's the one that has the closing monologue. Yeah, he has, he has all the things to say about everything that's happened. By the way, <laughs> this is no country for old men. That's how the movie ends, everybody. And then I woke up. Yeah. <laughs> actually, I'm surprised Aaron technically. Well, no, I guess it's not. But I mean, one of your favorite series of all time. I mean, Godzilla. I mean, he's I, the he's for sure the bad guy in the first one. He's in, the bad in the guy. Japanese films. In the original, yeah. yeah, in the original Japanese one, he's the threat, and it's his movie. I mean, point. I went back and forth on mentioning this because I didn't want to get dragged into a conversation, but here you are dragging me to that conversation. Yeah, I mean, he's Godzilla. He's the lead. He's, he's the he's the lead of all thirty-five films. I I agree, but also, I mean, it, you know, it doesn't really count. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah. Well, we've had some good answers there, and I'm sure that. And also, he's only the villain it. in the first movie. You're right on that. Well, he's the villain in the first three or four movies, but regardless, it doesn't matter. And then he becomes a good guy. He's yeah. got a family. Yeah. Um. All right. Well, the next question is: What are some <laughs> a man of the family can't be bad? Uh, what are some great <laughs> films focused on fashion and design? We talked about a few earlier, like Phantom Thread, Phantom Thread and uh, Devils Are Prada. Phantom Thread, yes. Phantom Thread is fantastic. He's I, like I, stitching <laughs> himself into his clothing, which is very symbolic. I can't think. I, I mean, I know documentaries. I'm trying to think like. Well, Bruno, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> can't walk two seconds without talking about bruno uh, <laughs> uh what zoolander what are some good movies guys like, yeah, Z- zoolander yeah i mean we, yeah movies about fashion and design i mean uh, funny I, face the audrey hepburn film that's a, that's all about fashion funny face okay funny face uh what are, what are, what are some other like fashion based movies yeah because i'm trying to think like where it's the i don't know um like so much of what I I've actually really been into that lately, but most of the stuff I watch is usually documentaries and stuff. That's what I'm trying to like. What would be yeah, a fiction? Jocks. I'm trying to think of some like yeah. What are like specific movies about like the industry of fashion that are good? And <laughs> even Murphy's, although it's a TV show. What is it? The assassination of killing Gianni Versace. It's really about. Well, yeah, it's not about the you know, fashion industry. <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's the name Versace, but it's like yeah, it's not really about. Is him. that a mini series? It was a yeah. yeah, yeah. It was the it was the follow up to the um to the OJ show. It was the uh, show. oh oh I see American Crime American, Story. It was American Crime Story. Yeah, got it. Okay, but it's just more um, fun calling it the OJ show. <laughs> all right. Hey, uh, <laughs> think things following the villain, the OJ show. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, thirteen going on thirty. That's about fashion, right? I have no. Is that the one where she switches bodies? What else would you think thirteen going on thirty is? Well, I I always forget <laughs> about like with Disney's The Kid. Not not that they're the same, but you know how there's like seventeen again and Disney's The Kid. Yeah. So I can't ever like Disney's The Kid is like oh you should stop being such a dork. Because well, that's where like there's like there's a kid, there's his kid, there's the version of him as a kid that just follows him around and is like stop being a dick, like that's yeah 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 this is not who I wanted to be. And then thirteen going or seventeen again is Zac Efron being a teenager while still having a dad mentality. 
Got it. So yeah. thirteen thirty. I mean, going on thirty. Thirteen going on thirty is just it's it's Jennifer Garner, but she like as a kid flash forwards to the future of her being thirty. Oh, it's big. Yeah, but I mean, but except but except but it's, it's the all the it's a flash forward to the future. It's oh, not, oh, everybody. Yeah, it's is not just a, it's not a body swap. It's more the yeah. my thirteen year old mind has swapped it's, into my thirty yeah. year old body. It's um. This is so much discussion about thirteen Cage going movie. on thirty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Family Man. That's a, that's an alternate dimension. Movie. That's an alternate timeline. <laughs> yeah, I know. We we know too many things. That's the I Kelvin mean, timeline. There's the I I only saw it once, but. What is it? There's that Robert Altman. What is it? Ready to wear? Preda Porter. Yeah. Preda Porter was like, yeah, I mean, that is about. I don't remember how good it was though. Not I mean, I great liked... is the uh, yeah. general consensus. <laughs> Not <I know>. great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't know. I haven't seen that in years, but I mean, by comparison, he's also been like the player at like around the same and then. Oh my uh, god. And shortcuts around the same time. So those are. Oh my god! I can't believe this. What am I? Forget? I can't believe a movie I picked on the best of the decade. <laughs> Here it comes. Oh, Personal Shopper? What? No. Or... What? <laughs> I, do, I mean, I do like Personal Shopper. That's but... not about fashion, though. No, it is. But uh, no, no. Uh, Neon Demon. Oh, jeez. Yeah, you forgot that. Oh, one. yeah. How did I forget go. Neon Demon? Oh, that's like, a lot, that's of, that's a lot of, like, like uh, yeah. eating. I thought Personal Shopper because I know you like Cloud of the Sills Maria. That's where I was going with that. I do. I like Clouds more. And that they're both SAS SAS films. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would say, arguably, I have not seen Funny Face, but beyond my love for Neon Demon, man, is is Phantom Thread the best one? I mean, it's it's certainly the best. They're probably like 1940s films that we're forgetting. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there's a number of screwball comedies that deal with this very subject. Yeah, that's probably true. That's Um, it. Phantom Thread. Of this of the past many years, I pro- I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, that way. yeah. It's great. one that takes it the most genuinely seriously. So. Right. But yeah. yeah, it's also very right. funny. Um, <laughs> last question: What are some? <laughs> how long is this episode? Last question: What are some great films about characters living dual lives? I mean, every spy movie, right? <laughs> yeah, every spy and superhero movie. So what else? <laughs> what else we got? <laughs> Characters living dual lives. So you're, you're you're asking for the cinematic, the the Hannah Montana's of the cinema cinematic universe. Or or it could be like Enemy, where he doesn't even know. Yeah, there you go. That's or a good. I do that's love a, Enemy. Enemy's, Enemy's great. That's a great yeah, example. That's great. Um, I mean, it is a spy movie, but uh, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind is one of my favorite movies. So. That is an excellent movie. Yeah. Oh, I've never seen that. Oh, it's great. Oh, see it. it's, yeah, it's, it's one of good. two good Clooney movies that he directed. Directed by George Clooney. Yeah. Oh, is the other one Good Good Night and Good Luck? Yeah, those yeah. are the two good those movies that he directed. <laughs> and then yeah. he made he made the one where like Matt Damon rides away on a bicycle, and that was shut cool. up about that movie. <laughs> what was that called? Suburbicon. Suburbicon. What's the football one? Leatherheads. 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 Yeah, and he also right. made the Monuments Men, right? Yeah, uh, the mo- uh, one of the most boring movies to star those people. Jean Ju- Jean Dujardin's in that movie, and he dies. Academy Award winner Jean Dujardin is in that yeah. movie. Yes. Anyway, um, characters living dual lives. Midnight Sun I mean, wasn't bad. Would something like uh, I don't know if it's great, but it's as I recall, it can't be fun. Would De Palma's Raising Cane be that? Yeah, like, no, I like when John Lithgow eats those chicken fingers. Yeah, I mean that's fun. Um, <laughs> also be like dual Stupid. lives. I mean, it it would have to be like you know. Is uh, my cousin Vinny a dual life? He's faking being a lawyer in the courtroom. <laughs> <laughs> 19, what is it, 1986 okay. Plymouth? Yeah. Forget the year. Yeah. Oh, his car, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah, Dual Lives, yeah. Uh, the Longest Goodnight, there you go. Sure. Which is another spy movie, though. <laughs> okay. But can't you just, couldn't you have just shot him in the shoulders or something? <laughs> I love that line from Sam Jackson. What's the Gwyneth Paltrow, 
Is it sliding, sliding doors? Sliding doors. Well, that's a. It's an alternate life. That's right? a what it's if. A, that's a Family Man type thing. That's a what if. That's a, if yeah, I did this, this. If. if I did that, that. Yeah, but you know, characters living dual lives. Yeah, sure. I mean, I mean, t- to some degree, I guess you could argue, um, the schizophrenic movies. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, something like um, what you call it, uh, Shutter Island. Is what about The Departed? Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Yeah. That's that's a good example. Yeah, because that's the whole thing, right? Is that he's yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think that counts. Yeah, like, yeah. Like Donnie Brasco could fit in there to some degree. Yeah, like Donnie undercover Brasco. cop stuff. Yes, I can see that. Yeah. Like, would you guys ever trust your life to just Mark Wahlberg? To just Mark Wahlberg? Yeah, he's the <laughs> only person that knows Leo's true identity. Well, to be fair, I mean, if. I mean, he he got he did he Leo did get the revenge. He did Leo right in the end. Like, yeah. like, like beyond being an asshole, like he, I have no reason to think he's a bad cop. Like he seemed to do his job. <laughs> what, about, an um, what would we count? I mean, I guess it's more. Remember how The Departed has like some of the best performances of Leo and Matt Damon and Jack Nicholson's fantastic, and like I guess we should nominate Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? I forgot about he's that. He's the only actually. one that got nominated. Yeah. Wait, is that true? Yeah. Uh... Wow, that's weird. Leo you know, should have gotten something. Yeah, like one of Jack Nicholson's last performances, and you have Matt Damon, who like in that elevator scene alone goes through like 27 different emotions, and you have right. Leonardo DiCaprio, who's like stressed Doing on a, an amazing like, job. He's like stressed yeah. on a pencil, like balancing himself, and they're like, right. yeah, I mean, but Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he wore a suit and he combed his hair. Anyway, Scorsese should have won Best Picture for something else. I do like the Departed. I like the Departed plenty. It's uh, just when you look at the like, you have these the, actors. The cast. You look, yeah, you look at this cast. You look at those performances. It is not even like Wahlberg's bad. It's just like we need. There to are sing- so many good people. We need to single out some performances in the the Departed. I guess Mark Wahlberg's the one we should nominate for an Oscar. <laughs> he took a turn. He was just like we've never seen Mark Wahlberg so. Polished. He's not even a turn. He's just playing like another Southie. Just he just happens joking. to be in a Scorsese movie. I'm just joking. I like his lines. Like maybe, maybe not. Maybe go fuck yourself. <laughs> uh, anyway. So that's feedback. <laughs> feedback. 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 Let's uh, let's move on now to nothing because that's the end of this podcast. <laughs> We've reached it finally. Uh, you can find more of my work on my personal blog, thecodyzeek.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I am writing movie reviews at weliveentertainment.com. Uh, Criterion reviews, including Nightmare Alley, which I talked about earlier, over at ysw.com. I occasionally do some stuff for Variety, and I'm on Twitter at aaronsps4. Abe? You can find more fun stuff over my Instagram, abe.mua, and twitter.com slash walrusmoose, hashtag it's pronounced deville. Peter Paris, where can people find more of you online? Um, I write for whysoblue.com, and... Uh, I actually just started doing uh, video reviews and essays. I'm on YouTube and Instagram and, and Twitter as a pajamo. There you go. I'm telling you, if you you should rename that channel. Hey, it's Peter Paris. That that would work. The Peter Paris show. That's good. No, no, not the Peter Paris show. That's for something else. That's for your TV broadcast. Hey, it's Peter <laughs> Paris. That's a fun YouTube. I'm giving you that for free. Hey, that right at you. hey it's Peter Paris. Hey, comma, it's Peter Paris. Exclamation <laughs> points. <laughs> That's fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find all your other episodes of Out Now Theater Today on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Cyclops, Podomatic, and HHWLOD. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com. Or write on our Facebook wall, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast. Or you can tweet us at twitter.com slash outnow underscore podcast. Maybe instagram.com slash outnowpodcast is the place I should do some summer gamble updates. That'd be an easy way to do it. 
Uh, yeah, it would but, be. Yeah, so uh, well, I'll tinker with that. I'll tinker with that idea. But uh, yeah, Instagram, we can follow us there too. Peter, thank you very much for joining us for this. Episode. Thank you, Peter. Yeah, I had a had a blast, guys. Thanks for having me. And you, on. you wanted more people on here, Peter. We're we're <laughs> we're at two and a half hours. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Yes. But yeah, that is going to do it for this week. Next week, speaking of horror, we will be coming back with the Conjuring colon the Devil Made Me Do It. Um, but uh, yeah, that's going to do it for this week's episode. So until next time, so long and goodbye. exercise more yeah, you should do that yeah <laughs> have less salt too that's that's key you say salt yeah have less salt oh less salt yeah that's that's probably true that's just good advice <laughs> yeah in general especially now that we're like old men i mean we i mean <laughs> you're the same age as i am <laughs> i mean you got some months on me buddy <laughs> <laughs> not okay. like old man paris over here though so it's all good uh, that's true <laughs> So Wait a minute! You're movie. telling me that uh, that movie by what's his face was based on you? This joke did not work out because I can't remember. Yeah, no, that no, movie. no, You really have us lost right now. <laughs> no, I'm saying. Some of the trailer for Cruella. Do they have the song? I don't know if they do. They don't have the song, but we can sing it okay. anyway. Cruella Deville. <laughs> Cruella Deville. Oh, I gotta ask: Am I the only person who has never seen? Who? Well, the only. There's only three of us. Am I the person here who never saw, or if I if I saw 100 Mile Dimensions, I was like five. So I you really have no recollection of this movie. I, I'm well, in that boat, and I have also have never seen the uh, Glenn Close movies. I saw the first Glenn Close one, which I thought was terrible, but I don't remember. <laughs> I don't think I saw the sequel. Don't worry, we'll probably bring it up in the main review here. <laughs> yeah, I would. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, yeah, let's, let's get to the, this. Week, we're so. going to the trailer here.